Warning, this podcast contains scenes of explicit nonsense and lore. Previously on the Resident Evil Podcast. They do it, we do it, everyone's done it. I must have played each scenario over a hundred times easy. I literally couldn't get out of Jack's bar. And what's Kevin doing? He's just sat there drinking a fucking pint. In full uniform, he'd get a bollock in for that. <laughs> Over here, he would. Uh, us Europeans clinged on to the impact font for a little <laughs> bit longer. It's not, it's not actually impact, Nick. No. <laughs> Sorry. Thanks, bro. <laughs> The Resident Evil Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 94 of the Resident Evil podcast, where we're all still stuck in that cursed city. I'm Nick, better known as Neptune, fusing with bioterrorists since 2015. Let's see who's joining us today. He's trying to mesh the Spencer Memorial Hospital with Raccoon General. It's the Batman. Hello. He's a hive of activity when it comes to Outbreak. It's Star's Tyrant. Just do it. Hello. <laughs> And finally, this podcast, he'll be mostly covered in leeches. It's Rombie. It's so cold. Hi. Gabbing up in this podcast, we're continuing our 20-year celebration and look back at a Resident Evil outbreak with the latest two scenarios here. We're going to be covering the Hive and Below Freezing Point. Bit of a mixed match of scenarios, and I'm sure there's contrasting views coming up on that one. Let's have a quick look at the news. There's been a, a lot of news actually since the last podcast and a quiz as well. So uh, let's start with the news. I'm going to quickly start with site news first. So I just want to say thank you to our new patrons who have joined us in the uh, last month or so. So a big thanks and shout out to Ryan McNeese, Captain Rimmer, Jacob and Ashley Wilson, thank you so much for joining Patreon. It helps us enormously. If anyone's interested, you can head over to our Patreon page. You can follow the links on our main website to see what benefits and general thanks we can give for uh, any support is uh, very much welcome. So thank you, you lot, for joining our little family. Uh, first bit of big news, however, comes from Resident Evil 4. Yes, that's right, Gold Edition. It's out now. Bit of a quick release, actually. It's only recently just got announced, and it's come out as of yesterday at the point of recording, which is the 9th of February. Uh, digital only at the moment, costing $49 in America, £45 here, which seems a pretty good deal. So if you're going by original retail price, you're basically getting separate ways for free, if you've budgeted that way. Good news as well for us Europeans seems to be a physical release is coming, but no date I don't think has been given yet other than March. But, and this is a massive but, and this is what I'm sure we're going to focus on, the physical edition of Gold Edition, bit of a token gesture I'm afraid, it is following in the same formula as Resident Evil Village Gold Edition in that it's 
basically the vanilla game with a download code. So unfortunately, Separate Ways is not on disc, keeping up to date with Not a Hero and Shadows of Rose, I'm afraid, as being potentially canon scenarios that are lost in the future. Who knows? But Gold Edition, anyone getting, anyone taking the plunge our end? No, would have done if it had had it all on the disc, but it's a coaster for me. Yeah, same. Not even for the shelf? No, no, because it's just, it's just, it's moot. I've got one for the shelf. I've got, you know, vanilla. It's fine. That'll, that'll do for me. I'm not interested in, in buying the same piece of plastic again with a slightly different bit of paper in. We didn't even get the gold edition of Village here, so I doubt they'll release them. Oh, yes, I was going to say, that's true. Yeah. Isn't there no, no announcements for the Down Under market yet? No, I mean, usually it goes with the European decisions because it's usually made out of that era just from the historic PAL regions. Uh, there is a Capcom Australia. But the last time, I think they just discounted the base game. I do wonder if Gold Edition Physical might be worth a lot of money in the future. If it, if it only is released in Europe, and I know it's not technically a physical release in that sense, but I do wonder if you do not open it and do not use that code and keep it sealed. It depends, because if the servers are no longer a thing where you can redeem said code, then it's just a glorified bit of paper in itself, isn't it? But there are people that do collect these things for mm. collectors' purposes, and then I see where Nick's going with this. I was going to say, what's Capcom's general history with this? I mean, that's how how far back do we go? I mean, Operation Raccoon City is probably one of the earliest pieces of DLC in that sense. Can you still redeem some of the Spec Ops codes? I would say so. The PS3 store still works, but I don't know whether it was ever bundled with it, was it? I think you got Chapter 1 free with the game, didn't you? Mm, I think you could just download that. It, was, it wasn't that it was even free with the game. Anyone could download that for free on, on the network and probably the same on the Xbox store as well. The question is, though, could you ever recommend Gold Edition? You know, say someone hasn't bought Resident Evil Remake, you know, and people perhaps listening going, oh, Resident Evil 4 Remake, and I'm not sure now it's all out. I can't help but feel you could probably pick up Resident Evil 4 Remake cheaper itself and then buy Separate Ways, because Separate Ways is, what, £8? It's very cheap. So as long as it's coming in less than, what, 30-odd quid, it's going to be cheaper to not buy Gold Edition. I suppose it depends if you want all the extra ammo packs and the costumes and stuff. Yes. You know, instead of paying yes. for them separately, it all comes. And, and Village Gold Edition's quite cheap these days. That's only about 25 quid. What, digitally, Gold Edition? Is it? No, no, I'm sure I've seen it in, in game for about 25 quid, 29 quid on the PS5. Oh, uh, okay. Because you can't buy it second-hand for obvious reasons. CX won't sell it. Hmm. Anyway, there we go. So, Gold Edition out now. Keep an eye out for Physical Edition, which is coming out next month. Sales figures news. Always always good good times. Let's have a look. So we've had some updates. Uh, thanks to Alex, who's provided, he certainly retweeted everything out. But Resident Evil 2 Remake has now sold a whopping 13.6 million copies worldwide, which is pretty good since 2019. Village doing pretty well as well at 9.39 million. And Resident Evil 3 Remake, which is considered to be the worst one, uh, still doing very well at 8.43 million. And this is all backed up by the fact that Remake 4 has already sold 6.48 million, making it the fastest selling Resident Evil of all time. What a good time for Capcom. They must be laughing all the way to the bank. Well, they're on track to get, was it, I think, 11 years of continual profits. 
like continual growth mm. so at the end of this next financial quarter if, as long as it continues in that trend which it probably will they haven't had a bad year <laughs> for that long it's insane it's very good it's very good anything that st- sticks out for anyone it's, it's easy to be overly critical about the remake approach and things like that but you know as we talked about in the remake for episode in the review as a product it's a dream game like it's rich in content it's very well made you certainly get your money's worth even with the you know added cost of separate ways it's still a cheap dlc when you compare it to other dlcs and whatnot it's just a stunningly well-made game even resident evil 3 for all of its flaws is still a good fun ride while it lasts as a video game experience it's a bit linear and whatnot but you still have a good time playing it it's astoundingly well polished yeah they're just top quality you know top quality titles I'm definitely expecting more announcements this year because after this gold edition of four, it's, there's nothing currently on the slate, which is the first time I think in five years, six years. So in order to continue this trend, something's definitely going to be announced this year, I suspect, very soon. Mm. John, you're looking forward to Resident Evil 9 being announced. Definitely. I mean, I obviously loved Resident Evil Remake 4 a hell of a lot. It's right up there in the series for me, but I am ready for something new now. Just saying off air, I played through Village this week for the first time in a while, and really intriguing ending with the what happens with the BSAA and whatnot, so I'm definitely looking forward to an all-new storyline, and Death Island as shit as it was. <laughs> it was nice to have Jill back, um, so hopefully she'll be included in the next game as well, and like Rob says, hopefully it'll be announced soon, and it'll give us something new to look forward to rather than just another remake. Last bit of news, at least in terms of minor tidbits. The uh, Resident Evil 4 producer, Yoshiaki Hirabashi, apologies, was interviewed by IGN, had an email interview with IGN, and they raised the question that a lot of fans have been asking specifically about Remake 4 when it comes to Operation Javier. Now, of course, people who have played Dark Side Chronicles will know Operation Javier is the new part of DSC and shows how Leon and Krauser meet. And if everyone casts their mind back to one of the trailers, I think, for Remake 4, there was that reference to Operation Javier, and everyone's like, yeah, great, great. It quickly transpires that the events Krauser and Leon are talking about in Remake 4 don't really gel with what we see in Dark Side Chronicles. So a question that IGN put to um, the producer was asking whether that is canon, is, is Dark Side Chronicles canon and I'll, I'll just read out what he said so he said the fact that operation javier occurred is in fact part of the current resident evil main story however as to what the mission was it's not exactly the same as the events portrayed in resident evil dark side chronicles i can't share the details but you will find that the relationship between leon and krauser as well as their conversations give you some idea so clear as mud <laughs> but you know what as i'm getting older and i think there's a bit of an understanding as to what's happening with the RE series, I'm really not surprised by this comment. I think Capcom are very hesitant to nail their colours to the mast as to exactly what is and what is not canon, because I don't think, I don't say they don't care, I just don't think they consider it to be a major issue that perhaps we do. I feel sorry for you, John, as someone who tries to put it all in a, in a, in a coherent order, it's difficult. 
Mm. I mean, Capcom have got to be careful, haven't they? Because they can't really come out and say, well, you know, it's the originals that are canon because that sort of automatically devalues the remakes, which are obviously very popular at the moment. And likewise, they're going to upset a lot of people if they say, no, no, we're going with the remake canon and the older games can be disregarded now. So I'm not surprised that they're, you know, they're keeping it all ambiguous. But it's an interesting comment he made. I mean, the, the whole Krauser thing in Remake 4 was probably the most controversial change out of everything that was changed for the game. Yeah, it it is what it is. You know, it's it's clearly in remake verse. It's some sort of drugs operation with multiple people involved, and Krauser got pissed off because all his men were left to die, and that clearly, obviously, doesn't happen in Operation Javier. So again, it's it's just up to the fans, really. You can go with Dark Side Chronicles, you can go with the new version, or you can go with a mixture of the two. You know, nothing is technically incorrect, because at the end of the day, whatever you decide to go with personally, Operation Javier still happened. Mm. So, it is what it is. It just begs the question why they change it in the first place, really, because what does it add? But I will say, people shouldn't get carried away when they say things like, oh, I can't share the details, because people will say, well, why can't you share the details? Where's the Operation Javier DLC? And I think people just need to realise they can't share the details because there probably isn't any details. You know, they changed Krauser's story to make him a little bit more of a sympathetic character. They don't know what happened in Operation Javier because they never planned to elaborate on it. So I think people just need to you know, temper their expectations a little bit. This isn't a major deal. Capcom aren't hiding anything from us. It's just, you know, they're talking about a scenario that never existed in their minds. It's not been planned because they're never going to do a game about it. I do wonder if they ever did, like, an Archives 3 or something, just exactly where they would fall on the on these issues. Because, of course, we, ha- we had the same scenario when Archives 1 came out, and, you know, it was, it was Remake 1 the whole way. They never really mentioned anything to do with the original game. And that was an indication, perhaps, that Remake 1 replaced the original. So I, I do wonder if they'll ever do a new Bible of RE and exactly where it goes. It's possible, but we've got to remember Remake 1 is a special case because it really was a 95% copy of the original game, apart from you know the obvious graphical enhancements, whereas these new games are a different breed, shall we say. Last bit of news, Infinite Darkness news, ladies and gentlemen. Oh yes, you can't escape it, or are you? Are we finally at the end of the Infinite Darkness timeline? Issue 5 of the five-piece manga is out now. John, Batman, you have it, you've read it. Do we end on a positive? Um, not really. It's it's just, it's like I've been saying, it's it's just a bit pointless. It's just a cash grab. It doesn't add anything to Infinite Darkness. There's no real massive events that occur that are going to impact the rest of the series. Aside from Leon, there's no other characters involved or even mentioned. You know, there's no mention of the BSAA or anything like that. It's just very, very self-contained. It basically plays out like an episode of Law and Order, but with zombies. I think my hope for it was in some official name for the T-Acrobat virus from Infinite Darkness, but I think you dashed my hopes of that happening. No, there's nothing like that. I mean, I can I can do a quick summary from what I can remember if you want. I'll say a spoiler warning. If you want to read this fresh, then obviously just spin on for five minutes or so. But obviously it's set in Pittsburgh, which is briefly mentioned in the film. Obviously a few days before the TV series. Basically, 
the night before a new exhibition is due to open in the Carnegie Museum of Art, a bomb detonates and kills a female security guard. And the next day, Leon is assigned to work with the local police because the device used matches the description of a bomb used on one of his previous cases. And some of the suspects for that are still outstanding. So he believes the people he is looking for from that case bombed the museum, or they at least supplied the bomb to the people who did. So the interesting thing about this is his assignment here is not in any way bioterrorism related. It's just a plain terrorism case. But he thinks it's an inside job and recognises one of the museum security guards as someone connected to his previous case. They visit this man's home and find the real museum employee dead in a freezer. And our suspect has assumed his identity to get this job at the museum where he's placed the bomb. The suspect's actually hiding upstairs and there's like a brief gunfight, but he manages to get away from Leon and is picked up in a van. Meanwhile, at the medical examiner's office, the MDs are about to autopsy the dead security guard who died in the bombing, only for her to reanimate into a zombie and kill everyone. The police are called to a biohazard at the MD office and Leon sort of rings the CDC and tells all the museum staff who were working the day of the bombing to check into a hospital and get themselves tested for the T-virus. There's numerous zombies there now and they've killed responding police officers and everyone's dying basically until Leon arrives and saves the day and tells everyone to shoot them in the head. The group behind the bombings is a population control movement who obviously think the world is overpopulated, there's not enough natural resources, etc. So they're basically planning a series of bombings in high-profile public places to reduce the world's population. But why they're starting in Pittsburgh, of all places, I have no idea. But the sort of crux of the story is the group were supplied the bombs by a company called Fount Security Solutions based in Washington DC and what they don't know is the bombs have been embedded with the T-virus and this is because the CEO of this security company is in league with Senator Wilson from Infinite Darkness. They are basically using this population movement as patsies to cause small biohazards so they can test the inhibitor on new strains of the T-virus because as we know the virus is ever evolving and the strain that infected the mad dogs is six years old by this point. So as the comic continues, the second bomb goes off at a community centre during a visit by a local congresswoman. There are some survivors, but those who were killed immediately reanimate as zombies and start attacking attending paramedics and the police. There's one quite interesting scene actually, there's one unnamed cop who survived the original attack at the MD's office. He shoots all the zombies in the head because he remembers what Leon told him. But this is witnessed by a number of civilians who think, Jesus, the police has gone mad and they've started killing civilians. So this cop actually turns in his weapon and is, and is suspended by his captain because obviously nobody believes in, in zombies at this point. A third device is due to go off at a baseball stadium, but the police managed to find that one and defuse it in time. And the original guy who's been setting up the bombs is basically sold out by this population movement. He's got the T-virus as well because he's been setting these devices and he didn't realise the T-virus was in them, so he's become infected himself. So he basically tells the police where the hideout of this group is and it gets raided and Leon gets like a nice little action scene where he basically arrests them all single-handedly while the police just stand around in, in complete awe of him. And it turns out this woman who's working with Senator Wilson has had her people embedded in the medical response teams who've been attending these various incidents. 
and they've been secretly using the inhibitor on the victims but it turns out it's been completely ineffective and then senator wilson is seen sending a report to presumably tricell even though they're not named on something called operation iron city basically explaining that the latest version of the inhibitor is completely ineffective on the new version of the t-virus and then the final scene is just Leon saying goodbye to the police chief he's been working with. And then he gets a call about an emergency at the White House and he's picked up in a helicopter. And, and that's about it, really. It's not the most exciting comic in the world. The art is nice. The art's very nice. There's a couple of nice little bits of world building. You know, I like the fact that like, organisations like the Centers for Disease Control now have protocols in place for whenever there's a suspected T-virus outbreak. And it's, you know, it's nice just to have a more grounded story as well. You know, there's no huge mutated BOWs. There's nothing crazy happens. It's like I said before, it's, it's basically just your standard sort of police TV drama series, but with zombies in it. So I would recommend getting it for collector's purposes, but it's certainly nothing to get excited about. That's a nice segue because the trade paperback, which collects issues one to five, is due out next month. I think um, I've mentioned it in previous podcasts. I think 16th of March looks to be a release date. But again, take that result because the release schedule for this series has been very hit and miss generally. So um, I will certainly be purchasing it for the shelf. I prefer trade paperbacks to comics, but we shall see. It's interesting because there's a few, and we've been talking about this off air, actually. There's been a number of comics and mangas over the years, isn't there? And we touched upon it in a recent podcast where we went through the bioterrorism era, so the Mahara Desire and Heavenly Island. But there's others. Another canonical one is the Prelude to the Full Umbrella Chronicles one, which is pretty cool, which introduces the Hunter Delta, albeit briefly. But there's been loads of others, you know, going back to the original Resident Evil run from Marvel, I believe. And then there's, there's some Chinese Manawas as well. Then there's the Wild Storm mm. Fire and Ice with Charlie Team. Which I'm really intrigued to have a look at. I've never read it. I know it's a bit crazy. Isn't that got that's got the X virus in or something like that? <laughs> and then there is the Resident Evil Five One, which was a prelude, apparently leading up to the events of Resident Evil Five with liquors in space. I don't know. I, I think we're getting to a point where there's probably enough of them where we could have a dedicated podcast to it. We may do a whole podcast talking about a lot of the literature, should we say, of Resident Evil. I think that might raise some good questions about, you know, what to buy or what, what to look into, what's worth doing. Is there some of perhaps some of the non-canonical ones worth your time as well? But we'll focus on the law side of things. But yeah, that, that could be a future podcast to look out for. So thank you, John, for that. No worries. That does finish our news for today. We now turn our attention back to Resident Evil Outbreak and it's 20 years. We're looking at the latest of our happy birthday playthroughs and we start off with The Hive. Oh no, we're not watching the original Resident Evil movie. Oh no, we're playing The Hive. That's right, the hospital-based Resident Evil scenario from Outbreak, which I'm assuming was named after, or at least inspired a little bit by the Paul W.S. Anderson movie. But thankfully, it shares no relation to it. Oh, 
I apologize if I surprised you. Please do not be alarmed. I'm a doctor in this hospital. I must say that this hospital is not an ideal place to take shelter. It's not as safe as it may look or sound. I myself have decided to get out of here as soon as possible. In Outbreak File 1, chronologically, this is the one that happens next. And what a joy it is for some elements. So we join our characters in the Resident Evil Hospital, which we first see, of course, in Resident Evil 3, which Carlos decides to blow up. And what's quite nice about this scenario is that it basically avoids all the areas that you really encounter in Resident Evil 3, that the main two floors where you see the Hunter Gammas. And you get to see everything else. You get to see everything else in the in the hospital, and it, it makes a really quite unique and a, a beautifully faithful and respectful addition to a pre-existing location. My praise for the scenario probably ends at that point, I'm afraid, ladies and gentlemen, as a little preview. <laughs> Let's do a quick kind of introduction then in terms of what brief impressions of this scenario. Then we're going to talk about timeline placements, and then we're going to go into our own personal experiences. So, Stars Tyrant, you love Outbreak. Mm. As you said in the last podcast, you've played these scenarios a hundred times. Where does the hive rank for you? I love it because it's a very clever return to a uh, you know classic location, but offline, the actual gameplay... I think is probably the most compromised of all the five original scenarios, just simply because the AI can't really do battle well enough against the leech, stalker, zombie. And it makes it just a bit of a misery. You've pretty much got to know what you're doing through rehearsal, and then you can just sort of blitz through it quicker without needing the NPC help as much. I think as a setting and the puzzles and everything like that are wonderful. Only three rooms, as you say, Nick, actually cross over to RE3 which is like the main entrance, the little side room and the like the office before you get to the elevator. But it feels so seamless with the original RE3 hospital. I think it's visually very much in keeping. Yeah, online is a very different experience because a team of players know how to essentially disable the leech zombie. On, offline, it's a bit more of a headache, but I still enjoy it a lot. And the only other thing is the final boss is is, is trash no matter what mode you're playing on. Unfortunately, it's it's it's, it's pretty rubbish. And, uh, you know, just shout out to our man Hirsch, who's got the, the most amazing English accent you could ever hope for in Outbreak because the bloody elevator's not working. You know, I've got my notes. I've got my notes. His pratfall off the counter or whatever, the box that he's trying, he's trying to escape the leech man is one of the most incredible pieces of slapstick humour in the series. Oh, the bloody elevator isn't working. I'm trying to figure out why. It seems the electricity on this floor is entirely supplied by an auxiliary battery. See if this works. My note is weird British doctor. It, <laughs> honestly, I, I swear to God, they, they, they must have just got some work experience boy to do the voice. They just happened to be British. Oh, the bloody elevator's not working. 
But then I suppose that's in keeping with, you know, the Doctor. It might even be Hirsch. Let's let's actually headcanon that the Doctor who records there also appears to be a slight fracture in the right arm just below the elbow in RE3. That would be amazing. Let's let's have him be Hirsch. Yeah, wicked. We've just done that now, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Headcanon that. Nice canon. I'm having that. (laughs) Robbie, what about you? How, How have you found the hive? Yeah, not fun. Again, I'm with you, Nick, because I'm playing this on the PAL PlayStation 2 version, which means I have no other option but to play it by myself. Yeah, that leech is not fun. And yeah, I didn't finish this. The thing that makes it feel me feel much worse about it is going on YouTube afterwards just to see what I've missed and watching people play Lone Wolf on the hardest difficulty and kill things with no effort whatsoever and no damage. And I'm just like, these people have played this way too much. But not a fan. Not much else I can say so far. I'm not a fan, no. I love the environment. It's nice to see more of the hospital. I like the design of it, but I, yeah, not fun of the gameplay, no. We'll certainly get into it. Batman, what about you, my friend? How, how did you enjoy going back to this location? I'm with Sean. I really like this scenario. Apart from the final boss, which is awful. I just think it's the hospital is such a wonderful location and every room is just chock full of detail. It's respectful to Resident Evil 3. There's plenty of optional ways to go around. Yes, the leech man is maybe a bit too relentless and does spoil things somewhat, but I suppose it all depends how quickly you get down to the fixed temperature room and, and kill him. But yeah, I just think it's a, it's just a really nice atmosphere. There's plenty to look at. There's some nice files in here. I mean, it's just got a really good atmosphere and the soundtrack is very minimal and, and quite ominous. And yeah, I just think it's, you know, if you want to just kill an hour playing Resident Evil or old school Resident Evil, then this is the ideal scenario. I think really enjoyed it. Is it? Is it? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just think it's. I mean, you liked Hellfire, didn't you? Whereas I think I did. Yeah. I think this is pretty similar. You can get lost quite easily, but there's just so much detail in the hospital. You know, I just think it's great, and you're playing an extension of what you've already seen in Resident Evil Three. You know, there's law references to Resident Evil Zero with James Marcus. I mean, Jesus Christ. You know. So many different ways you can go around the hospital. You can raise the shutters and go down the stairs if you want. I like that sort of thing because it just wasn't linear, and there's not too many enemies. And yes, like I say, the leech monster does spoil it somewhat because you can only spend a minute or so in each room before he comes. But overall, I think it's really good. I'm surprised you didn't like it a bit more. I must say, Nick, I can't wait for your breakdown of how well you did. I've got a feeling this is going to be podcast gold again. It it was nearly I'm throwing my controller through the the screen type annoyance. It was. I mean, I think I tried five or six times, and I was just getting more and more frustrated. And from my point of view, I'd forgotten so much as well. As I said, I only ever really played it once when it first came out, and so coming back to it, it was a bit of a fresh experience. You get into it, and as you say, you've got the the location, and it's you know it's that familiar route, and it looks fantastic. I, I think it holds up extremely well um, from a visual point of view, and yeah, and I agree with John as well about the the audio is very nice going through. I just, the, the mechanics of this game, the bleeding scenario, I was like, what the hell's this? And then it was just a little bit too much for me, but I'll, I'll come on to, I'll get on to why. But in terms of kind of lore, where we're at, you've mentioned John, obviously, as, as references to James Marcus, which, which was nice. And from a timeline point of view, this obviously can't happen uh, late in the day because we know Carlos blows up the hospital. So it has to happen before Resident Evil 3. And um, I think what we tend to do is go because of the leech boss at the end. And it kind of ends with you kind of, doesn't that kind of flow into underbelly? 
And it flows into below freezing point. If you read one of the files, the boat is the, God, is it like the chief doctor's or the, the supervisor of the hospital's way to go and visit Birkin for his meetings? Yeah. Specifically says, doesn't he, I'm not going to wade through the water to get to the lab. I'm on a boat. So it's a natural flow into below freezing point. When are we talking date-wise? How strict are we on this one? Well, the only visual clue we get really is the hospital director. Obviously, we find his corpse in Resident Evil 3 and he's here in this scenario and you get his diary in Resident Evil 3 and he basically says most of the staff were killed on the 26th and he knows he's infected and he's beginning to feel like he's turning into a zombie. So I think he dies on the 26th as well. So it can't be set before the 26th of September. I think I've actually got it as the night of the 26th. So, yeah, I think that's the only real visual clue we get. It can't happen before the 26th, and obviously it can't happen any later than the 1st of October. So it's somewhere in that four-day block, but I think it's probably on the same night that the hospital director was killed because there's only a couple of surviving doctors left alive at this point. And I think we've got more clues to suggest that below freezing point happens on the 27th anyway. And if this scenario goes into that one, then... The 26th is a reasonable assumption, I think, but obviously we can't say for certain. And of course, I mean, without treading on too many shows, pair that to, say, the Spencer Memorial Hospital from Resident Evil 3, Resident Evil 3 Remake, should I say, this way you kind of get your contradictory information, should we say, about the, the state of the hospital in Raccoon City at this point in time. Well, it's still a functioning hospital. In the early hours of Resident Evil 2, where you're running around the police station, there's actually staff still alive in the Spencer Memorial at that point. Mm. So we've said it before, Outbreak doesn't fit into the remake Raccoon City games. So who did everyone play as then? Did everyone keep to their usual? I stayed as Yoko, probably much to my demise, but I just need her space. <laughs> I need the backpack. I just stuck with Kevin. Kevin. I don't know how any of you do it. I do not know how any of you do it with with only four spaces. It's just rehearsal, Nick. The scenarios are designed to play them again and again and again until you have it like a well-rehearsed routine. And eventually you know what items you need to leave behind and what ammo you need and whatnot. Why is certain files just files and other files you've actually got to physically pick them up? What is the point of that? Because I know there's a room in the hospital basement where there's two files, and one of them you can just read it like a normal file, and the other one you actually have to physically pick it up. Yeah, I think the ones you physically pick up are just additional percentages to complete. You know, you get your scenario completion percentage. I think they just contribute to that as like a special item you can collect. Right, okay. I don't, I don't think there's anything else to it other than that. And what's frustrating about them is often you don't actually get the actual window where you read the file. You pick it up and then have to go and go to the file tab. Mm. Mm. So you're Kevin, Sean? Alyssa. Alyssa, yeah. And Rombie, Kevin as well? Uh, yeah, it was Kevin. Yeah. Yoko's a bad choice in terms of health. Her four extra spaces, I just have permanent first aid sprays. Anyway, you are thrown into the action. You start in one of the patient's rooms where you're introduced to, as I've said here earlier, the weird British doctor who kind of introduces himself, explaining, well, uh, Sean, you eloquently put it in your introduction, quite what's going on in the in the hospital. And it's not long before his demise and you kind of do a bit of exploring on the floor and then you leave the room and then you've got your first, I can't remember what floor it is. You're on the third. The third floor, that's it. You're on the third floor and you've got a couple of rooms to go in and it's not long before. And I was surprised at how quickly Leech Man comes along and we get that, as you said, that that kind of uh, cut scene where poor old Hirsch falls over or, or I don't know what he's doing, just being a, a general klutz. He's trying to get away. 
Yeah, because he's on the other side of the barricade and then the leech man turns up and he tries to climb over to escape but somewhat hilariously loses his footing, flails his arms, just goes flying back and uh, gets devoured. Poor performance indeed. Indeed, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so yes, you're you're introduced to this kind of weird leech man, a collection of leeches that devour him and then become one, which was an interesting take on the leech zombie, which or the mimicry Marcus, as they're called in Resident Evil Zero. So I was going to talk about the way the the Leech Man, as you call him Leech Man, kind of presents. It's a really weird image on the screen. I don't know if it's something to do with just the scaling on the PlayStation 2. It kind of looked like, almost like rotoscoping effect. It's because the leeches are basically 2D sprites that are overlaid each other, and it's just like a looping animation. It's really odd to look at, and it took me out of it. I was like, what's going on here? I don't know if something was wrong, but yeah, anyway. This leech man has a very different approach, if you like, to the mimicry markers themselves, which are quite problematic. But if you remember your mimicry markers with your fire, that's going to help you later on in the line. But am I correct in thinking this is the first time we have a stalker enemy in any Resident Evil game? No, Nemesis. Come on, Nick. Nemesis does follow you for extended sections. You, you, you've been brainwashed by Remake 3 too much. Have I? Yeah, Nemesis follows you for quite extensive sections. Yeah, be multiple rooms, multiple hallways. Multiple, he does. No, that's fair. Well, I was trying to give a bit of credit to the Hive here, Sean, and you've just taken it away. Like, no, no. I think I'm possibly looking at it a bit too narrowly in that sense. Because he chases you the entire scenario, it feels like the entire game. Whereas, yes, fair enough, yeah. He's not quite the first stalker enemy, but the second one. Let's stick to the second one. I, as I said, I was really surprised at how early he came in. I thought you'd have a bit more time to explore. And I thought, okay, well, here he is. And as, as John said earlier, it's one minute per room, isn't it? If that. Sometimes he won't turn up at all. That's the weirdest thing. But I suppose it depends how accommodating your partners are at keeping him elsewhere. Mm. I found a lot of his interactions bullshit, though. I have to be honest. Um, sometimes it was an absolute joke, you know getting to one of the doors, trying to unlock it with the keys, and then he'll just fall down on top of you, and you can become easily stunlocked, and you just can't get out, and there's not a lot you can do. No, the scenario is reliant on you carrying blood bags. And there's not that many. I think it's, what, two at the beginning in the drawer, isn't there? There's three in there, and then there's a couple. I think I only found a couple more right at the end in the heat experiment room. There's certainly not as many as I remembered. No. But I just legged it. As soon as you hear that ventilation shaft clanking, I was just dropped what I was doing and I was out of there. I found it quite easy to avoid, actually, but I forgot he has the same stretchy arm attack as the mimicry Marcus had. I f- I'd forgotten he could do that because I used to sort of just run round, you know, trap him on the other side of a table and run the other way, but then he would fire his stretchy arms at me. Yeah, so the whole point is, is to return power, isn't it, to the to the elevator so you can access the, the different floors. And so you're kind of like exploring, how did everyone get on at the beginning, but any particular horror stories that they can recite? I hemorrhaged a bit of damage, but I didn't struggle too much with it, to be honest. It, it was a relatively smooth run for me, in all honesty. It came back to me. I was just totally lost. I, it's been years since I played this scenario, so I didn't have a clue where I was going. So my basic plan was just to sort of explore each floor from the top to the bottom. And I think it's the second floor nurse's station where you find the drawer with the three blood packs in. Because this is so open in terms of it's not linear, there's multiple ways to go and so many optional rooms. It was quite easy to get lost, which I think is to the benefit of this scenario. You know, but yeah, it's just it was just finding my bearings really because I was I must have spent the first half an hour just wandering around thinking where else can I go? You know, looking for these elevator cords. 
I had one little scare. I think it's the employee lockers, the employee locker room. Mm. I was obviously searching through all the lockers looking for ammo, and in one of the lockers was a zombie that jumped out and grabbed me. Wasn't expecting that at all, and that was a nice old-school scare. That's nice. Yeah, that's where I definitely died, in the locker room. I think it trapped me there, because I think the ventilation shaft is right in front of one of the doors, and that really did screw me over. And I was like, no, no, no. But there's a couple of save points which again I, I found quite useful in this Rob what about you did you have any in, in the kind of early parts of the game any issues I mean it was just slow starting same thing John was saying like I just haven't played this for such a long time and of course I am playing it with a character that doesn't have all the slots that you have Nick so yeah it's just trying to remember what I need to pick up and put down there's a lot mm. of backtracking yeah wasn't too bad at the early stages it was just a lot of exploring and yeah, can't complain too much, but yeah, it was it went more off the rails later on. I think for me, it it, it kind of goes, and I have I have this issue with like resistance as well. It just kind of goes against my my natural feelings towards an environment like this. I really just want to have a good look around. I want to have a nose. I want to check out every nook and cranny. I want to go in every room, see what I can find. That kind of risk reward process, which is fine. But the game, as we've discussed with other scenarios, it, it wants you to move on. And this does it in a very visceral manner. It's like, you are moving on. You are not spending time in this room. And it really, you know, and it becomes a detriment and it just becomes a bit a bit of a chore. Yeah. You know, if you see an item there, you don't know what it is, you want to pick it up. And you don't really have time to, to strategize what you're going to do. Oh, there's a, there's a red herb there. Well, I've got a green herb. There's a green herb over there. I need to go back there, run back there, pick that up, combine that, and then drop that, pick that up. And, and you can't really do it because you can't pause it and even think, really, because it's all running in real time. And, and this one really suffers, even like checking the map, which I had to do loads of times to try and work out where I needed to go and what because I think yeah because I got a bit like John I got lost when when you get to the main entrance you can get there one of two ways and I didn't realize what I was I'd explored everyone I'd, I'd, I couldn't remember what I was doing wrong and you know it punishes you a little bit too much in my opinion for not knowing what to do at any given point and you just don't have time for that strategy that I, I I like to do. And there's not there's no save rooms bar the the one oh I can't remember what it's called, I don't know what room number it is. It's the treatment room on the first floor. Treatment room, yeah. Apart from that, you know, that's the only time you can really kind of catch your breath to an extent and try and work out where you need to go. And I think a good example of that has got to be that puzzle room where you need to in input the codes. Once you've got the codes and you know you've been you found all the all the files and whatnot, actually trying to input that in a timely manner is so you know it, it's luck driven as to how quickly Leech Man's going to turn up. Yeah, I mean, I, I must admit, I saved one of the blood packs for that room. That was a really good idea. Yeah, you need a calculator, Nick. Did I use a calculator? No, I think I used something called um, GameFAX. See, my my quick maths isn't isn't good enough. It's quite a, a tricky little puzzle. It is a hard puzzle. Because, like, you have to match, obviously, the colour with your knowledge. So, like, if it says, like, red plus a number, it's actually carmine in the actual nurse's station file on the chemical bottle. If it's green, it's emerald. But, yeah, tricky little puzzle. Yeah, it was a bit sneaky. And inputting it, yeah, like you say, if the leechman's around, you need that blood pack, like John says. Because it's just frustration. And the fucking little leeches as well. Yeah, what do they do? They kind of like, they just, they're a bit like the moths, aren't they? The little baby moths from Code Veronica. They just kind of like attach onto you and I just kind of span around on the spot and I don't know if that did anything. <laughs> but I 
There's one bit where they're actually hiding inside a glass cabinet. You go up to examine it to get an item and three of them just jump out and smash the glass. I think that's the one in the nurse's station where you need to read the chemical bottle and it will always put you in bleed state. Yeah. Yes. I suppose it would be easier online, this scenario, because I suppose you could get someone to keep the leech man busy while you do everything else. Yeah, absolutely. That's basically what happens. Like a couple of people will go off and like, do the puzzles, and we just stick together as a unit. And you know, once you actually dish out some damage to him, he will actually retreat. Yeah, you can stun lock him with crutches and things. Or I suppose it all depends how quickly you get down to kill him, because you know, if you do that early on, then that would make the rest of the scenario, you know, just purely from a, an exploration point of view, a lot easier. So, did you, Kevin, players, unlock the roof and go and get your MP5? I didn't. No, that, that was the only thing in the scenario I didn't do. I kind of forgot how to do it. Where do you get the code for the rooftop elevator? Just on a file somewhere. Yeah. I can't honestly remember because I don't play as Kevin enough. You really have to skim read the files in this because, like you say, you don't have enough time to sit and read them properly. The actual rooftop of Hive is one of my favourite sort of areas in the series. And one of the reasons I like it so much is because the way the angle is you actually see Raccoon Park in the distance. Yeah. Oh! Which is where it would be in Resident Evil 3. You can actually see it. It's not shown in any kind of detail. Like, it, you know, you, you can't look at a part of it and go, oh, that's the bit that Jill walked on, but you can see there's an abundance of green and trees and whatnot. And you go, oh, that, that is where Raccoon Park is. That's neat. It's just, you know, there was just a thought to make it geographically accurate to what came before. Picture the scene, ladies and gentlemen. I was in, I don't know, I think it was the second floor. I was on danger, crawl, not crawling, but going at a you know, glacial pace. I had no health, but I remembered that there was, well, I knew that there was a couple of green herbs on the rooftop. And I had unlocked the rooftop, but I knew, as Yoko, there's not a lot of point going up there. Other than the fact that I knew that there was green herb, and this, I'd used up all the health in the game and i was slowly making my way to the elevator i made it just in time before leech man caught up with me and i thought oh, but i was on danger and you know fire gauge going up got up to the roof and you saw this pathetic specimen of a player crawling basically went around the corner croak boom and i was like, out crawling and i was like come on come on and then i was crawling you know along the helicopter pad whilst the crows were circling and as the, the angle changed and there were the two green herbs and I was like oh, no. and I was like come on come on and I was like going slowly and these crows were like waiting and I was getting there I got within I don't know two more crawls <laughs> before the fire escape just went no you're done and I was like no I could see salvation in the form of a herb or whatever it was and it it was painful painful to die at that point and that was like death number three or whatever and i was like this i am losing the will on this oh nick it was so frustrating and i i can't tell you how i i just could not deal with the leech man at all i oh. i think we need to get a ground funding together to get you a proper gaming pc to stream all this <laughs> because our listeners deserve to be able to see all this happen in real time i'd love to show it i love you know this is an easy mode as well of course you know this is you know it's supposed to be the you know for beginners and oh my gosh, it was, I think it was my fourth or fifth attempt eventually, because I saved in, yeah, that treatment room that you mentioned, that was my kind of save point. So at that point, I was, you know, I was very clear what I needed to do, I, you know, run down into the, the basement area I thought was really quite cool where you get the padlock, isn't it? And the B1 floor, yeah, you go to the elevator control and then you go along the passageways. 
and then down into the bit, bit of a kind of sewer section, isn't there? To, yeah, to get the key, yeah. To get the key to come back. I like I like that area. But again, you know, that, that that's where I had problems with Leechman as well, because he would drop right in front of you, because I think one of the, the first door required... Uh... You need the level one key card. Everyone keep, yeah, that's it. So a lot of the time I was running up and down, up and down that corridor on B1 floor between the save room and the elevator control room, up and down, just to, just to coax the leech man into one room and hope I'd get enough time to be able to even like, you know, turn the key on to get into the next bit. It was so frustrating. It was... Mm-hmm. But yeah, I like the area though. I thought the area was quite cool. Actually, Leechman doesn't come into the waste liquid disposal room. That's another safe room, isn't it? From him. Yeah, there's a few. Mm, perhaps I need to know these. <laughs> he won't go into like the security guard's office with the CCTV monitors where you get the burst handgun. Ah, oh, that's good to know. So yeah, I, I said in my notes here, I've just said there didn't seem to be any rhyme or reason as to how he operates. I'd love to know, because I know there's like YouTube series, isn't there, on like how Lady D works off camera and things like that. I'd love to know how he does. What What's what's his RNG? I was thinking about this actually when I was playing it. Just like, I'd love to know how the game works offline because I just, I genuinely don't believe the PS2 has like the CPU and the memory to be able to be running like two other NPC characters and keep the AI going for all the other rooms that they're potentially in. So I wouldn't be surprised if they, once you leave a room, like there is a RNG factor that takes place until you enter a room again, like the probability of a character taking this much damage or whatever. It's like, I wonder if it's all just done with equations and things, because I just don't see how a PS2 could have done it, you know, to actually keep an entire level in memory at at any given time. Any insight, Rob? Yeah, I have no concept on that, no. The load times are atrocious, so... Well, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How did you find the, the general level, then, in, in your explorations of like the, the, the basement areas? We'll talk specifically about the the furnace area, but, you know, all, all the kind of puzzles going up to it and returning as well to the, the, the kind of main entrance hall, which I, I, I very much enjoy. And that random Cerberus popped out to say hello. Mm, yeah, it's cool, and, and then crows on the rooftop, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Rob? They're just trying to add more variety, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I as I said in my introduction, I think the environment's great. It's like it's nice seeing more of the hospital that we didn't get to see, and I and I enjoy it from that perspective. But I think it's the same as you, Nick. I'm I'm used to, when, especially in the early times of playing a game, and it was like this when I originally played it, and I I know for sure was that wanting to look at more of it. But of course, the game's mechanics force you to kind of try and get there as fast as possible. Is the intent, otherwise you'll die a horrible death crawling on the. F- floor like you did and so yeah i think i feel like it's counterintuitive somewhat to what i want to do but then sean's also right that the game's design is to get you to to try and try again and it's really just the pacing and the load times that put me off from doing that so often so yeah no can't complain about it i like it i'm looking forward in a weird way to flashback because obviously that's got the same sort of mechanic i don't remember having that many problems on flashback compared to this one but I could, I could be very wrong. I think you're going to be surprised. Really? Yeah, I think flashbacks are the most frustrating scenario of all of them. If, if you think the leech man's persistent, then I think Al's going to give you nightmares. Remember this moment, lads. Good luck, Nick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Al is probably the the hardest stalker character of them all because he's, the damage he can do is ridiculous. Mm, maybe not play as Yoko then. <laughs> yeah. She, yeah, this is the thing, because you've got this kind of weird bleed mechanic with Leech Man, and he takes a lot of damage to poor old Yoko, and it's hard work for her, 
because you, I often need to reuse all, all the health. So I think you're right as well, Sean, though. So I asked the question, how do you do it with four item slots? But I guess you will know, if you know the game well, you know where the ammo, that ammo is, you know where the health is, you know what you need to pick up. So you might not necessarily pick up that herb at the beginning because there's no point because you know you'll be able to make it to herb combo number one and that will keep you replenished. Whereas I will pick it up, store it, save it because that's me playing classic RE. It's like I'm keeping this, I'm saving it until I need it. Whereas Outbreak doesn't necessarily want, you don't want to do that because it's almost ammo and health for everyone in a roundabout way. Yeah, brilliant. So you kind of so anyway, you, you've you've done a couple of these puzzles, and you you have the choice of you know unlocking those those rooms, and you can go up to these up to the roof if you so wish. Then you go down to the furnace room, and this is where, ladies and gentlemen, I was very excited about being in the basement because I knew this is this is where I would finally get my revenge on this little sort of a of, of a leech man, and I went into the corridor, and I was like, ha ha, I'm here, I'm here, and then into the fixed temperature laboratory and I was like, okay. Examined the switch and I was like, this is simple, it's all ready to go. I've just got to wait for him to come in and I thought, here he comes. And then I picked up the the blood packs and I thought, oh yeah, all sorted. You can actually do it without it. I did it the second time I did it without the blood packs. You, you can do it. Anyway, so I lured him in and you run back out, you hit the switch and oh, the the relief, the joy. And it was quite a cool little cutscene. Of course, this is very reminiscent of Resident Evil 5 with the Ouroboros, which is quite leech-like in, in itself, the kind of postules of leeches. And you turn on the lab, and I was like, ha ha, and he's burning then. Poor old Kirsch. And there he is, and you're like, you've got my keycard. And you go and pick it up, and you're thinking, yeah, this is good. And I, and I was feeling very confident at this point. I, was, I, had like, I think I had two bits of health left. I had good ammo, handgun, shotgun, I think I had. And I was like, this is great. And I thought, oh, I, I can now go and explore as well. I, I knew where I had to go. I had the padlock key. And I thought, I'm, I know I'm near the end. My virus gauge was healthy. I was, you know, fool me. Fool me, I should. How dare I? How dare I? As I was leaving the room, a cutscene decided to kick in. Oh, no. Yes. Silly little Jim. Of course it was going to be Jim, who who had decided to kill himself earlier on in the game. Oh, he was suddenly covered with leeches. And I went, oh, you are having an absolute giraffe. And I totally forgot this was this this could happen. I totally forgot. I thought, oh, shit, shit. And I thought, well, he's up. He's miles away. He's up, he's up on, like, you know, the first floor. I'm down the basement. That means jack shit. Let's be honest. We, we, we could have been 20 floors up. He's there. Straight, pretty much straight away in the room. I was like, oh, you are... And I thought, oh, okay, hold on. I ran back into the fixed temperature room. I thought, well, is it still working? Of course, And it was. I was like, yes, I can do it again. And I waited. And I waited. And I went into the room. And I teased him. I was like, you come in. You come in. No. 
And I thought, you absolute dipshit of a game. You cannot do it again. No. And then I kind of ran out and then I ran to the door to, you know, get to the underpass entrance. And this is where death number four happened, of course, because I get in there. Then he literally jumps on me. And that was, I was stun locked. Hell, I couldn't get to the health in time. And blah, 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 they're dead. And I was like, you absolute cock. And I hate Jim for being dead and not surviving. <laughs> was fuming Sean I can't tell you the fumes at this point because I as I said I totally forgotten that a second leech man can come back and in the anger at that and then the sudden realization that the lab was still working like us all right I'll do it again but then the game basically said no this is not going to happen I thought that's so unfair Mm. and I don't like it Yeah, the the exact same thing happened to me. I forgot that you need to really take care of your NPC characters in this one because I killed him just like you did. Walked out completely satisfied with myself and then got the cutscene. And like you say, it's always fucking Jim. <laughs> and I thought, you bastard. But the funny thing is, I, I nearly let the leech man escape because I, I got him in there, used the blood pack, came out, turned the controls on and the fans started coming on. And then nothing happened, and I thought, oh, where's the cutscene? And I forgot you have to do the extra bit to actually turn the temperature up. Yes. So I nearly just watched him walk straight out. And then you've got to turn it back down, because the keycard's too hot to pick up. Yeah, yeah. It's so annoying. It's fiendish. It's fiendish. That's one word. That's one word, Sean. I had had other words that, thankfully, my children weren't around to hear it. So that mechanic I found intolerable. The bloody fixed temperature room's not working. <laughs> Rob, do you remember this? Did you, or did you, did you experience that? I did not get the second leech man. I just got lucky, I think. And I remembered that you had to turn the temperature on. I don't know why. And then once I'd done that, I was like, I think you have to put it on cool or low or something to, to, uh, to get the key card. I, I just did that because I looked at it again. <laughs> the bigger question is, and how did you keep your NPCs alive? As I said, I think it's just dumb luck. You, you know this from playing the offline mode. It's just sometimes I think they do the stupidest things and sometimes they just don't do as many stupid things. Mm. <laughs> it's probably an easy way to describe it, I think. I lost Cindy, but it, I was actually in the final boss fight at that point, so it, it didn't matter. You, you get the cutscene. If you're locked into the final boss, you get the cutscene, but it, the leech zombie doesn't animate in the room, if you like. Oh, okay, right. So, so Cindy was in the drainage ditch, battling the leech queen or whatever we're calling it, and she died, and you get the cutscene, but then she doesn't rise from the water or anything like that. Oh my god. Sean, if that had happened to me... Would be evil, yeah. <laughs> I think my TV would have been destroyed at that point. <laughs> oh dear. Fiendish, it's fiendish. And, and like I say, it, it, it's, it's the scenarios like this which highlight the limitations of it in its offline capacity because it's it's just simply not designed it it needs players supporting you and helping you out you need an arsenal to approach certain sections of hive and you can't do that if you're literally having to ferry everything yourself and it almost feels heartbreaking that like you know i go into a room and i see george on danger with a crutch and i have to surrender my first aid spray but I do it to keep him alive, just so I've got an inventory that I can load him up with to bring to the leech battle, if you know what I mean. Because it's, then at least if he dies, I can just retrieve the gear. You know, if he dies with the burst hangman on him, provided he's not too far down the drainage ditch, I can go and get it and have another 15 rounds or whatever. I just try and treat the NPCs as walking inventories. 
you know, and and it is worth doing the commands. I don't know whether you do the commands, Nick. What do you think? They do respond to the commands. Like, so if you press um, if you press down on the right analog stick, which is the like the come on command, they will actually mm. come. They will come to you. Okay, might try that next time. <laughs> I just tend to ignore them. I have to be honest. There is some some small benefits in trying your best to keep them alive, just because there are another four items that they can be you know following you with. Mm, yeah, that's true. That's true. So I think by the fourth attempt from the save point at the treatment room, wherever it is, yeah, the laboratory, I, I was very well versed in this final part of the game, and I was dispatching said Leechman convincingly in the laboratory, aware that Jim Leech was going to come back. So. Eventually, I made it to the underground pass, got on the boat, and then we get to, yeah, giant leech, queen leech, whatever you want to call it. So let's talk about that as an end boss fight. I will go last. Another comical moment where the, where the outbreak heroes are on the boat realising they're about to collide, and they just all bail out very unceremoniously. Throw themselves <laughs> out the back. It's genius. The actual fight is awful, though. It's, it's, it is the worst final boss of any of the scenarios. It's a nice idea in theory, but it just does not work because of the way like you've got to try and lure the the queen is mechanically quite broken, and it it has a lot of iframes where you can't actually hit it mm. unless it's emerged from the water a certain way. So you waste a lot of ammo if you just try and fight it outright, or you can try using the scenery. That was the strategy I went for. What about you, John? The only thing I could remember about this boss is if you got too far away from him, it just went completely inert and you sort of had to go back up to him to lure him out. And I forgot about this sort of tentacle attack he can do when you get too close to him, which I thought was a bit of a cheat. And he has that spitting acid attack as well. So I tried shooting the valve handles above to sort of lure him down, but he just wasn't quite in the right position. And by this point, because I got lost earlier in the scenario, I mean, I didn't really have any problems with the leech zombie or the other creatures. Because I didn't know where to go, I just wasted too much time. And by the time I got down to this boss, my virus meter was about 88% and I didn't have any herbs. So once the leech uh, hit me a few times, I think I managed to lure it halfway back to the boat. Uh, sorry, where the fuel tank is, but I just got to the point where he, I got hit and he got knocked down and you can't get back up and... My virus meter just went to 100%. I, I wasn't sure what I was doing, to be brutally honest. That probably isn't news to most people, but it's a long tunnel. It's a long passageway, and you know, you, you're introduced to the leech, and you're a long way away from it. And yes, that, that kind of run away, and then it doesn't really come, and you kind of wait in there. And then I remembered about the, the valves, and but they're, a long, they're quite a long way back from where you kind of start off from. But then, you know, you get closer, and then I started shooting at it, and I think I wasn't sure what I was doing, whether I was actually hurting it or not. I had quite a lot of ammo, at least handgun ammo, but it, it wasn't really clear that it was hitting it. At least I couldn't see it was. And then, as you say, you get these kind of tentacle attacks that come up, and sometimes it hit, sometimes it didn't. And it, it seems to vary as to how close you could get to it without being hit and then luring it. And it mm. just seemed to take forever. And I wasn't sure if this this was... I was like, it, 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 this seems really, I don't say anticlimactic as a boss. It just seemed a bit weird and a bit tedious. It fails in every way. I've got, you have to be brutally honest with this one. It just mechanically just doesn't work. Whatever it was they were intending, it just, it just fails, I think. I think it would have been better if you had like a big moment where it kind of like, re I know it does kind of rears up. And it, it, it's a big step forward by the leech. Mm. It just takes so long. And yeah. then... And then, as John says, and I, I agree entirely, trying to line him up with the valve 
is really difficult. There's a nice visual clue because the actual area in the water is illuminated with the light. Oh, okay. So if you if you look at like where the light is, it, the water actually is like illuminated in a little circle, and as long as the leech is in that, when you hit the valve, it will take the damage. Then there is a outside of the valve, there is also a hot steam pipe you can shoot. And then if all else fails, and I actually had to do this, mm. uh, there is a, um, a like a fuel can in the dock right back at the entrance of the room, and that's your last chance. Uh, for some reason, I had it in my head that was the only way you could kill him. I thought you had to lure him all the way back to that. If you just shout enough damage, I mean, online people just use the weapons and, and kill it probably, you know, sometimes before the, even, before the first steam pipe. I was going to mention about that because I died here too very similar to john's experience and it was a case where i was like oh i wonder how much damage it actually takes and of course the first video i see is like someone playing lone wolf very hard and they're taking it down with a butcher's knife and i'm just like freaking out <laughs> it's also worth saying as well that um obviously the game outbreak uses tank controls but if you use the left analog stick it gives you 360 movement depending on the uh, the camera angle will depend where you go when you move the analog stick the great thing about using the analog stick anyone who's played like remake or zero hd will know this as well is that you can turn on a on a dime basically so if you're like running forward with the analog stick and then flick it back you'll you will turn quicker than even like the 180 degree turn in the tank controls and for the leech fight this is you know instrumental in making it easier because you can literally just like try and you can run up to it and without that painful turning circle or the 180 degree turn, you can just flick the analog back and run the other way. It's worth doing. I know some people are very much, you know, tank controls purists, but <laughs> there are times when the 360 control, you know, helps out as it does in, you know, like Remake HD and Zero HD. I have to be honest, where, where the camera angle changes where you can shoot the steam pipe, that really disorientated me. <laughs> I don't know why. And I was like... You know, I'm very, very much used to it, but you know, you're kind of used to you're in that mode where you're kind of running back. Then suddenly, you're all over the place. I'm like, do I need to press up or sideways? And I was, it was really odd. I praise the game a lot, but I have to say that if if you if you ask me to point out the single weakest part, it is this fight for sure. It it just I just think it just does not mechanically work the way they were intending. And 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 that was my demise. I'm afraid to say, ladies and gentlemen, because this was the the end of my game and the end of. Me, I, I, so I actually had quite a lot of ammo, and this is what frustrated me more than anything else. I had quite a lot of ammo left, but the health was running out because of the various leechman engagements, should we say, prior. I had a good amount, but you know, because I was unsure as to how close I needed to get, I, I kept getting hit and using health. And then, Yoko, as I said, Yoko is not the best, but the, the frustrating thing was that I think John has happened to you is that you know, if, if you get hit, you get you know into crawling mode, and no matter what health you have, I think you just one health gets you out of crawling mode, and then but it doesn't cure your health if you know what I mean. No, it basically just gets you up. It gets you up, and so here I was on you know sixty percent I think infection with no health left, and I'm just crawling around on the floor, drowning in leech goo, and you know dying. And there's nothing I could do. I had plenty of ammo left. And I was like, oh, I shouldn't. And I'm now being punished for not, mix, you know, for mixing my herbs. If I had two green herbs left, I could have gone one up and then one down. Then I, I would have carried on and, you know, and may, maybe done a little bit better. I don't know. You know, by this point, I really was losing the will to live. And, you know, you just saw poor old Joko just crawling on the floor, 
dra- you know, effectively drowning, and a virus gauge just going up and up, and I'm going, brilliant, brilliant. And I, I was like, no, well, I know what happens next. You blow up the zombie and you go down. And that, that was it. I thought, no, I'm done. I'm done, mate. I'm done. And that was that. That was the end of my game. <laughs> so, did you actually finish it before this recording? No, I did not. No, that was that was that was that was that. I I was so, too angry, and I I I I, I needed um, some R and R with below freezing point. But I know I know what happens. You you kill it, and then it, you know he blows up or whatnot, and then you just wave through the war, and, and, and everyone's happy. So I'd seen the entire scenario, I'd seen the end boss, and I was more than satisfied that I had experienced something. Not something I care to repeat, but I'd experienced something. All I could do was run about trying to escape. I'm ashamed of surviving like this. And I feel I've forgotten something very important. Why? Perhaps the answer lies ahead. But John, that will happen to you as well, my friend, wasn't it? You drowned as your character. Yeah, so very painful death. I uh, was infected, injured, drowned, and turned into a zombie pretty much at the same time. But yeah, that sort of did it for me as well. I thought, right, I'm not going to go through that again. But I, I still got to see all the scenario. The only thing I forgot to do was take the elevator up to the rooftop where that dying cop is on the helipad. Mm. But no, I, I really enjoy the scenario. I just think visually, it's just there's just so much to look at. There's so many environmental descriptions. The atmosphere is just really, really good. You know, like below freezing point is excellent as well, but... A lot of the rooms are quite bare in that. It's quite sterile. It's just empty, bland corridors. Whereas the hive, every room in the hospital is just chock full of details. And there's some interesting special items in this as well. You know, you can find Chris Redfield's X-ray and medical checkup in the exam room, I think. And there's a memo alleging that the hospital director is taking bribes from a unnamed pharmaceutical company. So there's lots of little law tip bits in there as well. There are references to Birkin and Marcus, although Birkin is spelt wrong. Yeah, yeah. Isn't the file for Marcus, isn't talking about the leeches saying that the leeches at the earlier outbreak were different to the ones spotted at the hospital? Yeah, it's quite confusing because you'd think they were trying to link them together, but it's more to say, no, these are not the same at all. These are just regular leeches, obviously infected with the T-virus. Interestingly, from like a law point of view, back in day that would actually be one of the first times a western translation of this series actually implies there are variants yeah absolutely yeah because that was obviously a thing that didn't occur until much later on our western shores once we started dipping into the japanese files the idea of variants wasn't even really considered Mm. it's actually you know when i was rereading the files playing it i went okay it's not it's not like robust really it's but you you could you could sort of say that they're trying to indicate something there and it was the first reference to james marcus outside of resident evil zero as well which was nice uh re2 x-file all right fair enough fair enough yes yes a little point i win is, is, is there one though, Nick? I thought there was. No, don't. I think the only Resident Evil Zero reference in 64 is Billy and Cohen spelt wrong with a K. I know that, yeah. No, I thought there was. I thought there was a... I'm going to check, Nick. Check. No, don't take away my moment of glory. 
I could have sworn there was a reference to Marcus in. There, there might be. There might be. I'm sure Ashford is. In fact, I don't think there isn't a Marcus reference. Now I'm thinking it because because that was at that quirky time in the canon where like Ashford and Marcus were never mentioned in the same title ever until, until like the uh, timeline in five. Mother virus report. Is it? Oh. I'm sure he's mentioned in there because they talk about him getting fired. Oh, Nicholas. Oh. The mother virus was first discovered by Oswald E. Spencer, and it was him who founded Umbrella Inc. As time passed, Spencer's research was succeeded to Dr. J. Marcus. However, Dr. Marcus abused his power and had to be fired. Following Dr. Marcus came Dr. William Birkin. Dr. Birkin's experiments delivered many outstanding results, including the T virus. It is presumed that he'll be finishing work on the more powerful G virus in the near future. Currently, research on the mother virus takes place in our laboratories the world. In the near future, we hope to discover many new viruses. Incredible. Yes. <laughs> well done, Nick. Thank you. I'll take that one to the grave. That kind of concludes the hive, anyway. Does anyone have any concluding points? Anything we've missed? About your, your happy birthday experience after 20 years, does it hold up? Yeah, I'd also just want to briefly aside that. John's mentioned the detail and everything like that, that, but this is one of the games that if you're fortunate enough to have a PC that can play this in emulation, upscaled in like 1080, 2K, 4K, whatever, this scenario in particular looks exquisite. Like some of those backgrounds look like they could be pre-rendered. Mm. You know, it's a really high quality looking scenario. It's one of the scenarios that I, I, you know, you can take a screenshot of just about any camera angle in HD and you could say this requires next to no work for a modern port. Just upscale it and away you go. And uh, it looks fabulous. It really, really does look truly spectacular. I think it looks pretty good now, even off the PS2. I'm, I'm constantly surprised. Do you play on component cable, Nick? Uh, yeah, component, yes. 5576i. But that, I bet that looks pretty good, though. It doesn't look too bad. I, I, and this is one of the reasons why, because you can choose on this if you want it in 60 hertz or 50 hertz. Uh, so let's just move on anyway. And I would do 60 hertz. Don't you fucking dare. But I don't, because it... <laughs> well, it doesn't do it in progressive scan, so I don't see the point it does it in 480i. So the choice, from my point of view, is either 480i at 60 hertz or 576i in 50 hertz. Now, for a game like RE, uh, RE, I struggle to see why you ever need... I I just don't see the difference. It's not like... It's not a high-impact game in that sense. So, so you... So, hang on a minute. No, no, hang on. You you literally raised an issue on the game in the last podcast about, like, the, the slow, sluggish nature of the movement. Yeah. And then you admit in the next episode that you play in 50 hertz when 60 hertz is an option. I don't think that would improve the speed. It's roughly 17% slower, Nick, which makes a massive difference. Mm. Yeah, he's, he's right. I mean, admittedly, it is a, a, a slower-moving game, but if you're adding that quotient to it, you're making it even slower. So It, it, it makes a hell of a difference, Nick, trust me. I just can't drop that resolution. I'm, like, like, like you're, a, you're a Hertz whore. I'm a resolution whore. I'm not, it's not about being a Hertz whore, because I, I, I'm not as bothered about like these these newfangled 120 FPS experiences, because there is a debate with how much that truly adds, unless you really are playing like a Twitch reflex kind of game. But, you know, you're talking about a 17% loss in speed. That is monumental 
in, in a game like this, I would argue. And, and not just that, it's the way it was originally intended. 60 hertz is the way these games are made in the countries that they are made in. And Capcom in the early 2000s were notoriously poor in their 50 hertz conversions unless they added the 60 hertz option. I mean, anyone who played the original Devil May Cry on PS2 in PAL will is is one of the all time worst PAL ports. That is. But that's a game that requires so much speed. Generally, you are complaining that they're already slow. This is the, this is the point, <laughs> isn't it? That you you say this, but yet you're talking about how sluggish it is. It's like, well, of course it is. It's 17 or 18 percent slower than the. Okay, I prompt next time, next next one, I, I I will do decisions decisions in 480i, and I'll and I will be lamenting the the slight loss in resolution, enjoying the additional movement speed. So, so at the end of the day, with the age of the game and on the TV you're playing it on, those extra lines of resolution aren't going to make that much difference. Let's be brutally honest. Whereas uh, you know a speed increase is worth everything. I will. I will. I will. Te- I, I, I give you my word, Sean. I will test out 480i next time. I, I notice you're actually playing the emulated version, John. So you've even got like the faster loading times and everything. Mm, yeah, it's really good. Makes a difference. Yeah. There we go. That it finishes our look at the hive. So thank you for those concluding comments. We now move on to what naturally follows on, as we discussed earlier, from the hive into below freezing point. No turning back now, but it'll all be worth it. And what a return to form below freezing point is. It's kind of like the second level, so I, I think it actually works quite well as a as a second level if you're playing it in in the kind of release of the of the scenario as you as you play far one. But oh my gosh, I was so angry after the hive. And if people would have seen on the Discord, I was commenting about my general levels of dissatisfaction. Should we say with the hive? But what what a return to form below freezing point was. I absolutely loved every single minute of this scenario. So I will come to that, obviously, um, um, my kind of review. So let's take some brief overviews then from from our team. So Rombi, what's your take on below freezing point? Your general your general feelings towards this back in Birkin's lab of all places. Uh, it's a bit of a mixed bag. John made the comment before, but it's like I find that the environments are quaffed and so similar and bland in the hallways, and there's so many of them that I start getting a little bit like, there's not another hallway. But I like that it expands the lab again and that there's more there's more going on there. I don't mind the scenario. It's not my favourite, but it's not my least favourite, I guess, if I had to pick them. And, and it'll come as no surprise to talk about it later on, but I did not finish this scenario through my own dumb actions batman how did you how did you get on with with this what's your feelings on this particular level i don't mind it it's not one of my favorites but i certainly don't hate it yeah the environments are a bit bland but at the same time it's nice to see a faithful respectful extension of birkin's underground lab it's quite an easy scenario this one you know there's not many zombies i know you get hunters towards the end but you basically just have to run through a couple of corridors and, and they're dealt with yeah it's quite straightforward there's not too many taxing puzzles i like the way you've, you know you can end up on a different floor so i like that sort of thing but yeah this one's fine it's 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 sort of in the middle for me so what about you 
I think it's great. Uh, you know, uh, it, it ties in so wonderfully well with Resident Evil 2. There are some geographical differences if you're a nitpicker. There's certain ladders where they can't physically be in Resident Evil 2, but it's fine. I think it, it bolts on nicely. The whole thing feels like a lovely homage to RE2. It's got plenty of the classic RE2 imagery. It's got the Giamargo or whatever you want to call it as the, as the final boss. The marshalling yard returns in a triumphant way at the end, and it looks absolutely fabulous. And from a lore point of view, and this actually, again, it dawned on me, I'd never really considered this before until the recent playthrough I'd done this week, that this is, in timeline stakes, the first time we've ever seen an Umbrella employee in the death throes of the company, obviously, as the raccoon incident taking place, trying to steal something to what you would eventually assume is going to be on like some kind of black market in what Monica's doing. And there will be other people who remove things as they're, as they're escaping these facilities. But Monica's game plan is that she's trying to get out of the facility with a G sample. Yeah. To whatever nefarious scheme. Be interesting if she worked with uh, Frederick Downing. Yeah. We, we could headcanon that. We're just, we're just pulling it out today. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if, if you're talking about like implications on law, then this is one of the first times we've actually, this is the first time we've seen someone have a game plan about the fall of Umbrella and trying to, you know, betray the company in a sense by getting something out. I, yeah, like like you said, I loved it. I loved the fact that it was faithful. I, I, did, I didn't notice any of the nitpicks, but I, I wasn't really looking for them. I'd have to replay RE2 to see where they were, I'm, I'm sure. It's just like the ladder, for example, that goes down from B4 to B5 isn't there in Resident Evil 2. I see, right, okay, so... The secondary panel that you use to activate the train to hit the boss isn't there in RE2. The ventilation shaft outside Birkin's lab. Yeah. It's similar to, like, Desperate Times then, isn't it, where there's a little extra little... Yeah, yeah, fine, fine. But, yeah, I, I think this is a nice scenario. I, I agree with John. It's probably one of the easier ones, uh, which is why I was probably able to do it. It appealed to me because of where we were. And I like the progression in it as well. There's, there's a lot of logic in what you're doing. The puzzles seemed quite clear and concise. And I've got, you know, things like, it's just having like the V-jolt back. I mean, it's like, oh, this is nice. There's lots of nods and homages, isn't there? And then, you know, you, you enter the level and there's the Galaxy 5000 train and you're instantly hit with that nostalgia. It's time for Stars Tyrants Quiz. Nick, is the V-Jolt accurate to the OG lore or the remake lore? Did you pay attention? I didn't think it was accurate to any of them. Oh, no, it, stick, it sticks closely to one. The final equation. Um, uh, th it's the original then, I think. No, it uses the remake. Yeah, is it, is it 17 plus 3? Yeah, 20. Yeah, so it's the, it's the, it's the remake. It's ah, oh, I'm not very good at my old v jobs. I'll tell you why. It's because I don't play remake as much as I should. But anyway. <laughs> All the goodwill evaporated. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, 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 the thing, like valve handles isn't there. And, you know, the v and Hunt, you know, that obviously ha having Hunter's back, Baby G. Lots of lo lots of lots of good stuff, and I very very much enjoyed it. So let's let's continue the kind of lore chat then in terms of timeline placement. Obviously, you, you kind of said it's probably taking place at the on the twenty seventh. It has to take place before Leon and Claire get there because obviously when they get there, the place is defrosted. 
and curiously hunter-free. The actual hunters themselves are always a bit of an anomaly in the sense that uh, you know there's no real sign of hunters at all in Resident Evil 2 until they were placed there in the N64 version of Resident Evil 2 where you have a dead hunter and a file which then curiously <laughs> calls them well, I don't know, it talks about the, the Hunter MA120, so the original Hunter is the 121, and this is a talk about the 120, but it uses the RE1 model, I think. Mm, yeah. So I always think it's a bit of a typo. I think it, it means the 121, but oddly it's always been the 120s. But yeah, it would have been nicer if that had been, they, they could have made the Hunters in Outbreak as the 120s. That would have been a really nice link instead of having the new 125Rs. But at the same time, you know, you get that nice file where they talk about the the creation of it and someone going, why are we playing God? You know, a real classic RE file. So I can get that. And they're quite interesting hunters by themselves. And yeah, and, you know, Marshalling Yard, Baby G. There's a lot going on. And it, it's a location that we've seen quite a few times in RE2 and Zero and now Outbreak. So it um, gets a lot of love. So in terms of the law, so you think 27th. What, was any other clues there, John? Other than what we've discussed already? Well, it could be late night 26th or early hours of the 27th, yeah. That seems to be the general thing, because it's still night time when you finish the scenario. There's a full moon when you leave on the train, so... Yes. And we think, because simply because you're taking the train out of the city and towards Raccoon Forest, that's the rationale for this leading into Flashback. The only rationale. It's the only rationale because Flashback is so bloody random. I remember when I first bought Outbreak File 2, I actually thought Flashback actually took place before the mansion incident, stupidly. I don't know why, but I just did because it's just so random compared to all the other ones. Because all the files are dated 1993. Yeah. For a start, doesn't help, but... So, okay, so that's cool. So, pretty much set on the date, if we follow on from, from the Hive. So, you turn up and you've got a long, long introduction, if you like running down a corridor and you're not quite sure where you're going i was playing as yoko i think i get an extra little bit of dialogue don't i because that's where you meet monica and the the improvement of the voice acting compared to old hirsch is is, is noticeable there's no additional yoko content she's just present is it no oh okay but then she talks about she talks about you know she recognizes yoko that's in everybody's game because Yoko's present for everybody. Yeah, but if she's not part of your team, she is a zombie in, I forget which room it is. It's like the chemical storage room. Yeah, because I, I killed her. I had to kill her tonight. I felt good playing as Yoko for this one. Mm. And you actually get a little bonus later, which you probably didn't even pick up, did you? Look at a, a tone of disappointment. I might have done. Are you, uh, are you talking about her ID card? No, if you speak to Carter, as he sort of sat outside the B4 lab, he'll give Yoko a Desert Eagle. Uh. Well, Mr. Hall, I did do that, thank you. And I got I got the Desert Eagle, and I used it successfully. <laughs> Bravo, Mick, well done, I'm proud of you. <laughs> thank you. I have one quick question then, because I completed the scenario, but while you were waiting, I know we're skipping ahead here a bit, but right at the end, when the timer's going down for the turntable... I found an umbrella keycard on the floor. What's that for? Because I didn't need it. Did you play as Yoko? No, I played as Kevin. Well, how the fuck did you get the blowtorch? I put the password in the computer and then registered my fingerprint. Well, you need the keycard. You need that keycard to open the lab, to, to register your thumbprint. No, I inputted the code on the computer and it unlocked the door. Yeah, but then there's a keycard lock for the, the nest. The moth room, yeah. 
Yeah, but you unlock that door with the computer. Ah, you did it that way. Ah, genius. Ah, uh, yeah. You did the unlock PC then. Yes, there's two ways, yeah. Yeah. The way I did it was go and grab the key card from the platform, because Monica drops that when she gets taken. So that'll be Yoko's actual key card. That's what I thought you meant before, because Monica takes it off Yoko, doesn't she? Yeah. When when Monica gets taken by the moth, we assume you never actually see it. That was a long contested issue over the community 20 years ago. But yeah, if you run up to the platform, you get the key card, then that gives you access to... It, it brings the shutter down to get into Birkin's like secret lab room. Uh, you know, where the ruins of the Mad Experiment theme we used to play in RE2, and the Moth Nest. But if you do it the other way, which is... God, I can't even remember where you even get that code to punch in the PC. It's just as you climb up the ladder from where, where, you, t- where you type them in, there's a, as, you, as you go upwards, there's a, there's, a, there's a memo, and that's where they were. Is there? Oh, okay. No, yeah, so that's a much faster way of doing it, because you're reducing the backtracking quite considerably. Yeah. But yes, we've jumped, we've, we've we've skipped ahead there a little bit, but that's fine. So you, you get the introduction of Monica, and she's a bit of a bitch in terms of what she's up to, trying to steal something. And she's, when you see the Galaxy Five Thousand, you go, "Ah, oh, yes, let's get let, let's get on that." And then my, my first thought was, "Why do why why are we going into the lab?" You know, you'd have quickly realised this is wrong. Why can't we just go? And I, I I I was meaning to go back. Why can't we just go out the way we came in? Because that will take us out of the city. Yeah, but they probably don't know that. That's a long, dark tunnel, isn't it? You think how far that train travels before they see daylight in RE2. Mm, perhaps they should have just gone into the lab, grabbed a torch. <laughs> Roll credits! Um... <laughs> you know what? I've never actually tried. Maybe that's a secret exit to the scenario, just running out the train tunnel. No, you can't. I've tried it, and it's it's too dangerous to go that way. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> but it's, it's fine to go into a, an infected lab with all sorts of creatures there. So yeah, you come up and then and then you're kind of on the elevator, which is a wonderful, wonderful little nod to get to that elevator room because that is from obviously Resident Evil Two, but also from Zero as well. You know, it's that same kind of diagonal look, and it it just felt exactly on point in terms of you know the mm. aesthetic of previous scenarios and you know and the, and the kind of water treatment plant as well. You know, you kind of feel a bit at home. But yeah, you, you climb through the duct, don't you? I didn't know you could get carry on upwards, John. You said you could get onto the elevator. I don't think you can because the diagonal elevator collapses. So where have I got that from then? Because I thought, depending on where you went, you started on a different floor of the lab. Random. I think it's right, yeah, yeah. Ah, right, okay, okay. So where where did everyone play on theirs? I started on B7, so I had to make the V-jolt. Same. Same. But I kind of cheated because I just used Kevin to shoot the lock off the panel to get the valve handle <laughs> rather than uh, using, using the wrench and defrosting it. I've never thought to do that. That's amazing. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, I've never never thought to, though. Did it take much? It takes a bit, yeah. Well, yeah, I didn't have any ammo after that and I couldn't really find any guns on this scenario. I know you can get a shotgun off the researcher if you give him a first aid spray, but I didn't have one to hand. Yes, I did that. Rob, what about were you seventh floor? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. So as <laughs> random, so it was random, but we all ended up on the same floor. But yeah, I was, I was very much the V jolt, the V jolt puzzle, which again is quite a self-explanatory one. The only th- confusing thing for me was the other chemicals, the, the grey and the yellow. I was picking these up, going, "What am I doing with these?" I, I did not realise that the, these are actual weapons. I thought they were part of the V jolt. So I was storing them, and I was, lo- I was looking through the, the, the files. And I was like, right, okay, I need that. So I'm going into the other room, you know, going into one of the, is the red room, 
can't remember where, where the um three. And I was picking that up, and then I was like, okay, so I get that, and then I'll mix that with the other thing, and then that should be Vigil. And I was like, why have I got these other chemicals? I had them for ages wandering around, and then because uh, this is the thing, unless you know, you don't really know what's important, what's a key item or not. And I, I eventually just gave them to George. George was with me on this one. Dear God. Yeah, so I gave it to him, and then he started throwing it. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? And then I was like, oh, okay. So for a second playthrough, I will I'll need not pick, to pick them up. What I liked about this was it, it, it was a very, it was linear, but it felt quite, you know, like you, you, you felt you're always moving forward. I don't know, you had, it felt like you had options. There's stuff to do, and you're kind of always moving, and the backtracking was fair. I think was the best way, and you know, and it teased you, didn't we, with that you know lock room in the in the octagonal lab, and whether you wanted to go back down there and, and things like that. And then yeah, you see the the plant, and we need the VJ. I'll be interested to see if I ever play it again how the game is different when you start on the upstairs floor and then go back down. I'll be interested to see how that plays. You have to get a code for the computer that opens the door in the central lab, and then you can use that like emergency ladder to get down. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's that's what I did, and then when I got to the second floor. But yeah, I'm going to be honest. I got to a point in this level, and I was like, I I've been everywhere. What do I what do I need to do? And then I saw the the, the panel with the wrench. And correct me if I'm wrong. Is it a little bit obscure as to what you need to do with that wrench? Yes, it is. A little bit. I mean, it's like I I think it is. Yeah. Open the panels to get the valve handle. No, 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 no. The, the panels is the panels is fine because as you're walking past, you get a whole camera angle, and you're like, "Oh, this is important." I, I initially thought it was something special for David because he can do different things, can't he, with his little toolbox and whatnot. I thought, okay, but then there's a specific camera angle, so I thought, okay, this is important. Okay, so I've got a wrench, and then I don't know. It, it just seemed really odd that there's just a random sink in the corner. Did you you examine it, Nick? I did, I did, but it's not. Oh, I thought I was that. That's that's a classic RE puzzle, Nick. Come on. I I don't know what it is about. I mean, I got it, and I was like, okay, very good. I, and you know, perhaps we our hands are being held too much in modern games. With I mean, if it, I think so, yeah, that that didn't pose any issue back in the day. I mean, if if that was a Resident Evil Outbreak remake, that the whole area would be painted yellow. I I, I don't know. I just thought it was a little bit obscure. Is it's a work out what you got to do? It, it wasn't obvious. I suppose, it, yeah, but it is stuff. It's one of those things. It it is with hindsight, yeah. It, it, because it's all smoking and all the you know the steam and the mirror is all. It's the item description. It tells you it's filled with warm water. So why would it tell you that? Because it could just be environmental story. The same re- the same reason why. But you've got a frozen wrench in your inventory. Yeah, I suppose when you when you try and use the wrench, it's, it says you can't use it because it's frozen. Yeah, but then I'm aware, because I'm playing Flow Freezing Point, that I'm going to be defrosting the lab at some point. But you weren't at the time, surely? No, no, no. But that was me thinking, oh, I'm going to need this a bit later on. You know, I have it on me when I defrost the lab. It'll defrost everything with it, maybe. That was, that was my initial thought when I picked mm-hmm. up the frozen wrench. I thought, okay. it's, it's something for much later on. And it was only after I pretty much did everything on, the, on this level, and I realised I couldn't go anywhere else. It's a curious conversation. Yeah, it's it's definitely not my issue. It's not the game issue. <laughs> but what about what about you, Rob? Did you have any problems with the with the hot tap? No, not not like you. No, I'm not like you. <laughs> no, but I, mean, I had my own problems with like defrosting stuff and then 
getting killed. So, you know, I can't talk. No, no, we'll, we'll come to you. Don't you worry. I think, Nick, you've had the first usage of the word tap on the podcast. Well done. No, thank you. <laughs> Resident Evil expert, Resident Evil fan legend stumped by a hot tap. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so you make the, anyway, so you're going to make the V-Joke, you do, you do all that. I, it was funny, I mean, this I, I don't like to do too many in-jokes, but it was it, it reminded me when we had the Selfish Gene on the podcast, and we asked him, because he's a lab worker, what is it, you know, we, we kept asking him, is Birkin's lab anything like a real lab? And I, I just constantly reminded of his comment, going, no, not really. We don't have ladders, and the, the the thought of people climbing up and down ladders is just the way he said it. I, I apologise, I couldn't tell you what podcast that was, what number that was, but it's just the way he, he said, no, we don't have ladders, and um, it's just such a staple in Resident Evil. that there are, why, why is there a ladder connecting floors? How else do these people get... <laughs> it's so dangerous, they've got chemicals and they've got to climb up a bloody ladder. Well, I'd like to think the master elevator will go to all floors. We just don't see it. Oh, yes. Yes, good point. Good point. Where are we? Yeah, so we complete the two levels there. Any other instances? I think your point is right as well, John, that those corridors in the underground levels, they are quite samey, aren't they? They are, but they are, at the same time, they're quite atmospheric because obviously the soundtrack's wonderful on this level and the lab does have a bit of an eerie atmosphere because it's all frozen over and... I like the way you can see the, like the frost on the security cameras, but the security cameras are still moving around. I think that's quite cool. Oh yeah, that co- cool angle isn't there actually. I mean. Yeah, and it kind—I think it adds to the atmosphere just how empty this level is. You know, there's not many zombies in it really. You know, it's quite eerie how it's just so empty. It's quite cool. Yeah, and, the, and as you say, the music is phenomenal because it because it's a nice throwback to like the Resident Evil 2 soundtrack, but it's very new in itself as well. Yeah. And obviously, as you work your way up the lab and you start to see more and more familiar areas, you know, it just adds to it brilliantly. And I, again, I, I forgot about the underground levels to an extent. I, I thought you went in, you went into the main lab quite early on, but it, it teases it, doesn't it? As you spend a good amount of time in the in the underground sections, and then eventually you get up to the main areas. Well, first you see Birkin's lab, don't you? And it's like, what does it say? It you, you can't go that way, or that. I think there's a, there's a couple of boxes outside it, some crate, crates or something blocking the door. And if you've used the, the the code and the puzzle to get in, you can get into the B5 control room. And this, I went here first. This is before I got up to the fourth level. I did the fifth level first. I met Carter, thank you, and he gave me a magnum, and he was very kind. So I said thank you very much. And I went into the moth room. And I was having a little mosey round, and for Yoko it says, it talks about the fingerprint registration. It would be interesting if she was already registered. She already is, yeah. Yeah, she is, that's what I'm saying. And it was at that point I then kind of realised, I was like, oh yeah, I'm Yoko. There is something special about being Yoko in this particular scenario about what you didn't need to do. And as I was mostly around, I suddenly got a cutscene. And I was like, oh, what's going on here? And then we were taken up to the main shaft lab, you know, the fourth fourth floor. And, and, and there's David. And it's like, George, George, chucking around. And I was like, hello, who are you up to? And then the moth comes down, scoops him up, and then drops him in our room. And I was like, hello. And then he just looked at me and he just carried on playing. And he, get, he gets circulated almost. I, I don't know how that happened or why that happened. I can't remember how it works, but mm. a character has to be walking through the central area 
where you put the, the, the master fuse in or whatever, a character has to be walking through there. Or yourself, it can happen to yourself, and you get taken all the way back down there. It happened to me. Did it? Is it a handy shortcut? No, no, I actually was about done. I was heading back up to actually finish the scenario, and it threw me all the way back down to the nest, so I had to work my way back up again. Oh, that's annoying. I think when you're trying to 100% the game to unlock absolutely everything, one of the criteria you need to fulfil is actually be in the the PC room, you know, the nest, while an AI character gets abducted. Oh, really? Oh. Getting that to, you know, to randomly happen, I remember was such a headache. It was one of the the more frustrating ones, because I I can't remember the exact strategy of it. Our listeners will be tearing their air out, shouting at me now, but I I think you just have to wait in the room until it happens naturally, which was very frustrating, I recall. I just found it amusing, because, you know, uh, George just kind of got up and carried on. I was like, hello. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah so that, that i i had that little funny experience and, and carried on into the fourth area fourth floor and the nostalgia just hits you like a brick and it's wonderful to be back in this little lab and then it's cool i, I like i like the idea of having the moth just kind of flying around because the moth in re2 was a bit of a i used the term bot very loosely but it did even then it didn't really pose much of a threat in in the original re2 so to actually have a moth flying around posing a degree of difficulty and something to avoid it wasn't particularly difficult but it it just added a little extra dimension to what is traditionally a bit of a safe area you know that kind of main shaft area Mm. yeah it was nice just to where you can hear it flying around Mm. and the frozen hunters i think adds to the atmosphere as well because you know at some point they're going to defrost come on come on come on it won't move why Oh, give me a break. I don't believe this. Something else I have to fix to get out of here. Hmm. I was going to say, like, when I was constructing my timeline back in the, you know, mid-2000s, listeners will be probably interested to know that one of the most hotly contested things when Outbreak first came out was exactly what befalls Monica because there was a big running theory and I even subscribed to it rather embarrassingly back in the day was that it was actually Birkin that infected her. But don't, don't you actually hear the moth though when she turns around? Yeah, I, I conceded this in, in later times when people course corrected me. I just, I, I remember at the time just thinking it was just so nonsense that, you know, the briefcase that she's holding manages to break, infect her and then burst out of her. It just seemed all a bit nonsense and implausible that it was just far easier for me to believe that it was Birkin. But yeah, he's nowhere present. He's not even around. I think there is a file you can find that says the capsule the specimen's kept in will fail if it's not kept at a certain temperature or or something along those lines. I can't quite remember. I I do find the structure of the Monica cutscenes quite odd, though. They, They seem to just interrupt the gameplay and she kind of disappears from areas where she should be. But then I suppose they get around it like, like if she's taken by the moth, that's why she's not on the platform when you're there. And then she makes her way back up while you're counting down the clock. And then she turns up for her aliens scene, which remake fans will be far happier that Monica's chestburster is far more in line with the remake. Oh, it's a proper alien ripoff, isn't it? I couldn't believe it when I watched it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's far more in line with the Irons burster from the remake than it is the body tearing horror of original re2 i hadn't actually thought about it at all so what so she's infected by the moth but she's not because it's clearly a g virus that infects her no she gets taken by the moth yes and through the 
process the briefcase of the G sample she's carrying shatters because you actually see the broken briefcase when she falls to the floor. The, the thing that's in it has escaped. Yeah, the, the implication is because she's captured by the moth, the extra time she takes to get upstairs causes the, the case to fail and the sample can escape and it obviously infects her. There's definitely a file about it talking about how fragile the, the specimen case is if it's left out of its storage for, for too long or something. That's why she's in such a hurry to get out at the start. Interesting. So you, there's not a lot you can do in the fourth floor other than make it to the low temperature laboratory, which acts as your save room. Well, I lie. I can I can do a bit more. I think I can go to the the other side and put my fingerprint. Ending. I've got the card. All people need to go there to get the blowtorch. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. There's a very cool SP item in there though. Did everyone pick it up? Blooded lab coat. Oh no. Is that Birkin's coat? Yeah, if you if you examine it in your SP items list, it tells you that it looks like it's been riddled with gunfire. Yeah, this is the. I'm just looking at the file now. So, top secret memo: the sample currently stored in the lab is a parasite that was rejected by its host due to incompatibility. It is extremely unstable, and you have to be extremely careful when handling it. When transferring the sample, use a portable capsule manufactured by the MI Corp. Also, chemicals in the capsule get contaminated every few hours, so they must be changed. Any failure to do so could result in the subject awakening. Here we go. And MI Corp is a nice reference back to Code Veronica, the Metal Industries Corp. That does the emblem things. Oh, my days. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. You know, but... but... It's easy now because games nowadays have such fucking outstandingly rich lore. You know, it, it, it's, it's second nature for games nowadays to have just such incredible backstories. But people need to appreciate back in there, as I say again, you didn't have this. You didn't. No, not at all. That's why I started doing my timeline because there was nothing like this where it was all interconnected, you know, just brilliant. How is it like 26 God, I don't even know. A lot of time, ladies and gentlemen, that I'm still learning new things like that. Ace. Well, I think there's loads to learn about Outbreak because there's so much was scrapped, isn't there? I'm sure. I'm mm. sure eventually we'll learn more. But yeah, as, as Yoko, I can I can skip a little bit. I don't need to do the backtracking to get the register. I can go straight into there, grab the blowtorch, and then go to the low temperature. And as you say, John, it's one of those scenarios where you go, I I, I want to defrost it. I don't really want to defrost it. You know, so a, a tactical save, I think, if in offline mode is strongly recommended here because you, it is actually the end. And it, it's a very it's quite a quick scenario, because once you've done this, all you've got to do is then go up to the turntable. Really, I went there first, actually, before I did that, knowing that obviously I, if I defrost, then the, uh, the hunters are there. And I was very disappointed I couldn't go into the save room there. So I was looking forward to going into, you know, where, where Sherry relaxes. but. Is there it's something in the way again, isn't there? I think I can't remember. Doesn't it just say it's locked? Or you don't need to wait? Uh. No, so Zero says there's no need to go in here, isn't there? Or something. <laughs> it might not even let you examine it in Outbreak, actually. No, I didn't even do the tactical save in the fixed temperature room because I thought for some reason there was a typewriter actually inside the train car. But you only ever have a cutscene in there. You wouldn't be able to do a tactical save anyway, John, because when you resume on our version, the save is deleted. Oh, is it? Yeah, it was only the PAL version they changed it on because of the 
you know the fact that it was offline only for the ntsc versions the the saving is just literally if you haven't got enough time to finish it and you need to go and do something else if you, you can do a te- you know you save it a typewriter but then when you resume that save is deleted oh so you can, you can look around the turntable which is quite nice and you can see where resident evil zero kind of takes place if you are that way inclined um the turntable key is right there but I foolishly picked it up, and I shouldn't have done. There's no, there's no need to pick that one up because it's, it's waiting for you. So once you've kind of done all that, you're kind of good to go, and you're and you and you and you're ready to defrost. Uh, Rombi, I'm going to hand over to you. What happened to you after this? Thanks, Nick. Well, I did save, but I went outside and got mauled by a hunter, and I managed to kill that one, and then got mauled by another one in the entrance way in the core of the lab, and died. And by then I was running out of time to get to this episode, so I didn't finish it. And I knew that there was only the last boss fight to go, really. Aside from the two-minute wait on the terminal platform. Yeah. So. And you, you got done by the hunters. Yeah. It was foolish. I mean, I could yeah, I can go back and finish it. Well, in theory, finish it. I can go back and heal myself and I'll be fine. But I ran out of time and I was like, it was so late. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> I, might, I mean, you can just run past them. Generally speaking, I think the first the first one out of the when you've unfrozen is pretty much in your path, so you kind of have to get past it somehow. But the one the other one you can pretty much run past. I just was so low on health that I couldn't really run past it. So. Yeah, I, I managed to run past the first one, and I got to the main one, and I don't know why. I I have these moments when I play where I I, I feel cocky. I had a handgun with ammo. I had a shotgun with at least twenty shotgun shells i think and i knew there was some more shotgun shells i'd left somewhere else and i had my magnum so i was intrigued just to see the hunters in action because i thought you know as i got to the main shaft i you know i was kind of halfway through and i thought you know halfway past it and i thought oh you know so i want to see it you know i want to experience the hunter because i'm not going to see him again for a while so i watched it defrost and i thought it's all right and i'd forgotten how they are quite quick aren't they and i went shooting at it starting with the handgun and then it did something another mechanic in outbreak that i completely forgot about the broken handgun mechanic i did not know it could do this and i was like i shoot so i shoot in and then then it attacked me i thought oh fair play you know good you know you got me and then i went up and then nothing was i was going what's going on what's going on and i was like oh my gosh and then then i started to panic that's actually a pretty rare event well done and I, was like, I can't do i can't what's going on and then because you're in such a small area Unlike if this was a traditional RE, you could just pause, equip the shotgun, no drama. You can't do that because it's live switching, isn't it? And I was like, oh my... Sh-. And then, so this hunter was absolutely going to town on me. And I'm like, Nick, you are such a stupid idiot. Stop. You know, you could have made this and be, you know, be on your way. But no, you wanted to say, say hello to the hunter and barely survived by the skin of my teeth with a couple of shotgun shells. And it was it was jumping around and, oh my gosh. So I'm like, thankfully, downed it. But yeah, that, that would have been an a humiliating end to to what had been a very successful run up to this point. In fact, this was a no damage run up to that point. I was doing exceptionally well by my standards, and that hunter got me and uh, taught me taught me a lesson not to fuck around. But yes, there we go. That was my little endeavour. But yes, uh, a- a- any other hunter problems there, John, or were you uh, far more far more astute than I? I just ran past them, so I got quite lucky really. But I forgot just how late in the game they actually defrost. 
I seem to think they're defrosted quite a bit earlier than that. But I have quite a funny story on the turntable, though, because I was waiting for the countdown to go down, and for some reason I hadn't picked up a shotgun in this scenario, and I knew, obviously, the boss was coming. And I had Alyssa and George as my NPCs, and Alyssa was sort of nearly dead. She was crawling around on the floor near the security office, and I could see in her inventory that she had some shotgun shells. And George, in his inventory, had the shotgun. So I thought, excellent. So I went and saved Alyssa, got the shotgun shells, and I thought, right, I'll wait till we're in the marshalling yard and then I'll get the shotgun off George because I didn't really have that many pistol bullets. And then we get up there, the G mutates from a cute little cartoon character into the most horrific thing I've ever seen. And I thought, right, I'll get the, I'll get the shotgun now. And lo and behold, when I request it off George, it's the fucking broken shotgun. So I couldn't fucking use it, could I? Oh dear. Brilliant. Could not believe it. I also have to be honest, I had no idea what was going on with this countdown. Because when I got there and I put in the key and it's like turn, and then I, I climbed up to the door. I thought you just went in it, you know, a bit like kind of Ada and Leon, and just went up. But it says, the comment was, you can't go in it until it's ready or something. I can't remember what it was. And I was like, okay, well, I want to get in. And I was running around going, what am I doing? I haven't got the key. And I started running around the area, and the countdown was going down. I started to panic. I was like, what am I supposed to be doing here? There's a couple of some one zombie just kept getting back up and up and up and taking out people. I don't know what he was up to. I was just kind of running around and I was like, I, I don't know what I'm counting down for. And it, I don't think it's particularly explicit as to what you're actually supposed to do. It's just kind of like a, it's a two minute countdown to get on the train, but then you can't get on the train. So I don't know anyway. But yeah, I just wait it out on the actual race bit. Mm. In harder difficulties, is it like a zombie onslaught or something? Because it feels like there should be something. Otherwise, you're just kind of sitting around. Online, all everybody does is just, you know, climb up that little hop-up yeah. to the train and just stay there. The hunters actually can jump up, and it happened for the first time ever for me on this this attempt. I guess the idea is that there's enough time for all the players to get there if they're not already at the platform. Right. So someone activates it, and it's like a two-minute, you've got to get your ass to the train platform in time yeah but if everyone's already there then it does nothing and obviously for you nick and i if i actually started it being single player means absolutely nothing as well also oh so you you, you get hunters i never got a hunter in there i don't think yeah you, you mainly get hunters there maybe that's the harder difficulty considering nick was playing on easy yeah yeah oh yeah i'm, I'm just looking at yes at, in normal mode so oh, perhaps i should make it a bit more fun and have more hunters there you just avoid them by standing on the platform anyway. So up we climb to seemingly freedom of the of the joy that is the marshalling yard and the mutation of this weird G creature. As John, you said, very alien-inspired, isn't it? And he's got all that at the mouth and everything, isn't it? It's, it's exactly spot on. I don't know. This was what... I was a tough boss, but the little baby Gs were far more annoying than anything else. Does it take a lot of ammo, or was I, was I missing? I mean, because I unloaded all the magnum and pretty much all the shotgun, and had about 20, 20 shotgun shells and, and six magnum. It took a lot. It can do. If you start to use the train, its health declines very rapidly. What do you mean, use the train? You know the panel that you use to activate the train with the key? Yes. If you run round to the opposite side, you can activate the train so it flies forward and hits the boss. Oh, I didn't know that. And if you start doing that, then you only need to do that a few times and it, and it dies. So what, the train comes out 
the train will actually move and hit it. Yeah, it will it will propel itself forward and smash into it. And then it will not only will it do like huge amounts of damage, but it will also knock it to the floor. So you can then all just gather around it and unload your whatever weapons you've got into it. Uh, so the train then kind of go back to the spot. You can do it again and again. Yeah, the train resets itself, and then you can't use the panel again for a, a specified duration of time. Oh wow! And it won't let you do it if there's players in the way. I seem to remember it'll it'll come up with a warning to tell you that people are in the way. And do you have to line it up? Yeah, if, if obviously if it's round where the panels are, then activating the train will just mean it will go not hit anything and then just come back. Oh, there you go. Didn't know that either. I was just shooting it from afar, enjoying the scenic views over Racking City. I, I said it, it used up six hang, all the all magnum and about twenty shotgun shells before it was finally downed. While you were battling it, Nick, were you um, overjoyed at the elevator shaft that shot out from the ground into the sky? I think I, I must have missed that one. <laughs> But it was it, that was a much much better boss experience than obviously the, the, the kind of Queen Leech thing from the, from the Hive, and it, it felt a fair battle. I felt that you do need to be prepared for it and have a good good supply of of weapons and and health because those little bastards they were annoying, chasing you around and jumping on you, and yeah, didn't didn't like them a lot. Could be an issue with like aiming as well. I've had a few instances where it's auto aimed at them. When I was trying to get to you know to the boss himself, but other than that, I was able to do it first time without without too many difficulties, and I was mightily proud that we did that. And I think I I think mine was an hour, I did fifty five minutes. I think it took me, but again because I'm not pressurized by a queen leech man, that's because I spent a massive amount of time just soaking up the atmosphere and having a look around all the rooms, you know, sampling what I could see, and really enjoying my time in the lab. So I was quite happy with 55 minutes. I'd imagine it's in a well-rehearsed team, it's probably quite a quick quick scenario if you're playing online multiplayer. Oh, I would say so, yeah. Probably 10, 15 minutes tops. The thing with Below Freezing Point is its progression is linear to a fault. How quickly How quickly have you been able to do it in a, in a, you know, in a team? Again, it depends if you've got like a Yoko with you to speed up certain things. But I mean, I would say online, I've, you know, you, you can have it done in probably 10, 15 minutes if you've got a team that knows what it's doing. Online is great, but it has got to a point now where people are so rehearsed with it that you don't get how to say the the true outbreak experience, I suppose, is the question. Because is it a team working together doing it? Well, yeah, it is. But the problem is that people who play it online now are so good at it that you know even something like decisions decisions is not an issue mm. because everybody knows what they're doing they go and do what they do extremely quickly they've got arsenals built up ridiculous amounts so bosses are negligible you know and so you could argue that you know if you want a genuine outbreak experience you're not necessarily getting it through them either mm. because you're just getting blitzed through the scenario at 100 miles an hour even even if like You've just got one or two of the four that are accomplished players that know what they're doing. They will have everything done before the other two relatively inexperienced players will even, you know, have got through the third room. You know, you know. I would say for the purest outbreak experience, you want four players of of, of sort of similar experience and ability. I was a bit like that when I played Resistance. Yeah. 
you know, it was like I, I wanted to have a look around, check the map, check my surroundings, see what was going on, where everything was. And people were like, right, I found the third Earth globe statue where it is. We're off. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and you've not even left the first room yet because you're still looking around. And this is a fundamental issue with any kind of, you know, asymmetric cooperative based game that has people playing at different paces. Mm-hmm. If everybody puts on Quake or even Reverse, there's a pace to that game that everybody's aware of. Like, you don't go into Resident Evil Reverse going, oh, I just want to have a quick look at the RPD over here, because it's a deathmatch game. Everybody's getting in there to kill each other, and there's no other reason for it to exist, you know what I'm saying? And Outbreak has a bit of everything. It has that sort of speed-running aspect if you want it. It has environmental storytelling if you want it. It has file-reading if you want it. And and the problem is, I think you need all four players on the same page. Mm. It's a bit like if you ever just played Resident Evil 5 with a random and you wanted to take your time steadily and read some files, and they're off. And then you feel kind of obligated to keep up with them, because they're clearly playing a different game to you. And that's just a fundamental issue with Resident Evil as a multiplayer experience, I think. I'd go back to what I said, you know, lo- local co-op should have been put in with this. Yeah, I agree, yeah. It, I just don't think the PS2 was there. I think those early split screens were very much mock-ups. Mm. It's a shame. It was linking available. Yeah, I suppose they could have done that, couldn't they? Bit of an effort, but possible. Yeah, it would have been. Well, from a development standpoint, I would have thought it would have been a lot easier to do. Summaries, then, of Below Freezing Point, because once you blow up the G Imago, or Baby G, whatever you want to call it, you then just take a nice seat on the train, and off you fly into, well, presumably, as we've said earlier, flashback. It's the only way I can factor flashback into it, is that this train takes you to the forest or the outskirts. Because you are in the outskirts. <laughs> True, yeah. But there's no other way I think you can factor in flashback unless you you work it into the ending of this scenario. You're still left with the stupidity of them going back into the city. <laughs> but whatever. That's a... There is a bad ending to flashback where they tell you that all routes, routes are cut off with snipers and things like that. Yeah, that's the only plausible way I think you'd turn back towards the city. Closing comments then, Rombi, below freezing point. Yeah, I wish I hadn't been so stupid. <laughs> as i said in the, the beginning i think it's a good scenario it's not an amazing one it's good to see some more of the lab even if a lot of it is very similar yeah i, I enjoyed it but it's middle of the road for me i guess batman what about you similar i enjoyed going through it but it's not one of my favorites it's sort of somewhere in the middle for me a bit too easy but yeah there's, there's nothing wrong with it I like the little lore tidbits and the familiar areas we see from Resident Evil 2. There's a few nice special items in this one as well. You can find a picture of Sherry and Annette. You can find Yoko's lab coat. And guess what you can find in the marshal in the yard? A blue umbrella logo. No. How about what? that? Yeah. <laughs> it's somewhere near the control panel in the marshalling yard at the end. A fucking blue umbrella logo. There you go. Sorry, rewind. And not the blue umbrella. No, no, it's just, it's, I think the item is, it's called a blue umbrella, and when you, the description is a big umbrella logo is displayed, so. Wow. <laughs> there is an empty ink ribbon as well that you can find. Yeah. Hunter's Claw. Yeah, there's loads of, loads of little stuff. The special items really do have a lot of really deep lore hidden inside them. Brilliant. Fantastic. Stars, I'll finish with you then. Yeah, this is one of those scenarios that, with the additional ones in File 2, is that it collectively celebrates the classic trilogy in in its own way, uh, and I've always loved it for that. I think it's great. It's, it's linear to a fault, 
but it, it does feel like it, you know, when, when we sort of say Outbreak is one of those games that is like the best bits of the classic trilogy, that this is this scenario is one we point at because it has, you know, a classic location, a classic enemy as the boss. It's got hunters in it. It's that classic Resident Evil formula condensed into a 25-minute bite-sized experience, and I, I love it for that. I really, really do. I think it's fabulous. So Right, we have actually had a call-in as well. This is a call-in from Ronnie. And it's, it's a, a kind of overview of where he sits with Outbreak generally, not specifically talking about these scenarios, but he just wanted to comment on his experience with Outbreak. So let's hear what he has to say. Hello everyone, Ronnie here. I want to start by saying that Rombie's and Sean's experience were the ones that resonated with me because they were both right and I agree with both of them. Rombie's experience from the last episode was mine and I think most people on launch and anyone else in the PAL region that didn't have a hard drive or an internet connection for the PlayStation 2, which was probably most people. Rombie seemed bitter and let down and I've got to say so was I and I still am in a way. We got shafted and Capcom should be ashamed of themselves. I didn't realise that other territories didn't have the same experience. On the flip side, Sean's glowing experience is now the experience I've got now. I have a hard drive for the PS2 with it on it and a CRT and the experience of where to go, what to do and understand what the AI characters will do for you off screen like Neptune found with the keys and there's one like that in Decisions Decisions as well. So I implore everyone to never play Outbreak off a disc in PAL 50Hz regions. Onto the game itself, the atmosphere and storytelling is great. This is the Raccoon City incident at its peak. The controls though are clunky, but the characters are fleshed out and there's tons of replayability, especially when you think of File 1 and 2 as a single game like I do. The problem is, is there's a steep learning curve, so a casual is probably going to be bumbling along and not enjoy it. And if they're in a PAL 50Hz region, it's even worse. There is a really great game to be had, but you need the equipment and the time to get it, which is a disappointing feature of the game and something that most other Resident Evil games didn't have. If you invest in the equipment and learn the game, there's one of the best old school Resident Evil experiences of all time to be had here. But what gets me angry still is that this wasn't the case at launch. This isn't what I felt like when this game actually came out and I put it into my console. And it wasn't until many years later that I experienced it, but the game was old by that time. Resident Evil had moved on. I still, to this day, feel bitter that I wasn't able to experience it properly when it was a new game and my trust in Capcom was shaken quite a bit at that time but and this is a key point I really want to make with this calling is that Outbreak when played right is one of the best Resident Evil games ever made in every category from gameplay to atmosphere to storytelling. Thanks very much for listening keep up the good work can't wait to hear what everyone thinks you know of this calling and the other episodes, especially with File 2, because File 2 is, is you know, it's especially with loading times, is a much better experience. Anyway, thanks again. Thank you, Ronnie. That's, yeah, very much directed to you, Rob and Sean. I was going to say, I think you and I, Nick, are doing it wrong still. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> Ronnie makes an interesting point, and I think it is worth addressing that no game in this series has been held back by its hardware more than Outbreak. And, you know, and that's just not even factoring in the online aspect of it. That The hard drive makes such a difference. You're talking about taking loading times down from, at times, you know, at the worst, sort of 15 seconds down to about four or five. Mm. And I can't stress how much a better experience it makes it just from that alone. 
you know, we're not even talking about factoring in like real life players as your partners. We're just talking about the offline experience being more streamlined and easy. In some cases, it's not even like twice as fast. It's like three times as fast. It's understandable, isn't it? And it's annoying that we, we were shafted a little bit in power regions. <laughs> I remember putting in that game. I actually imported it from America. It was the loading times, as I mentioned in the last episode, that may encourage me to go and buy that Final Fantasy XI pack. And I had no intention of playing Final Fantasy XI. It's still sealed in that box. I don't think it's ever come out of that box, but I wanted that hard drive because I was naive at the time and didn't realise you needed any hard drive. So could I put a hard drive onto my PS2 Slim? Would it work? No, because there's no room in the Slim. Oh, and it can't be done by USB? No, it didn't have BIOS or the architecture to support that. But, you know, you're talking about a different era. Your best bet, Nick, is to... Emulate. <laughs> taking Ronnie's point there of, of, like, it being held back by the hardware, if you have the opportunity to play this emulated, as I've talked earlier about, like, the resolution upgrades and things like that, not only can you play it online with the fan servers, but it is just the quality of life experience you get from playing it with the better loading times, the higher resolution. It, no, no game in this series, as we've just said, has been held back more by the era it was made in. And this will go down as one of those all-time games. Unless it ever gets remastered, it will, it will go down in history as GT's famous missed opportunity. I think this, the chances of this ever getting remastered now are getting slimmer and slimmer every year because if we go by the earlier leaks of information that came out and obviously that resistance started as outbreakers and it seems like at one point they looked at like should we just do a modernized version of outbreak as a port or a you know remaster and it seems they went away from that and decided to create something new around the same concept of multiple players i think the chances are getting slimmer and slimmer i mean never impossible but very few. One of the things we didn't talk about last episode, which I think is relevant now talking about load times and everything, is, is the fact that at one point Capcom did consider a PSP port of Outbreak. Is it the infamous 2009 announcement? Well, no, this wasn't. that wasn't that. It was a completely separate thing. So when Outbreak was out, they made a decision just after its release, obviously in Japan came out slightly earlier, to port a game, an online game, which could use network play via PSP, adaption and they had a choice of two games they the, the company said you can't do two games you get a choice of one and they chose monster hunter outbreak was the other title they were the two that were ne that were going to be selected from in retrospect capcom made the best decision they could yes because monster hunter exploded because of the psp release in japan i can't see outbreak having the same impact that monster hunter did at the time but on that front, I would be very interested to know if they had put it on PSP, what the load times would have been like on that as well. That would have been horrendous, I think. It would have just been a different game, wouldn't it? Maybe, but I think the idea was in this case was just to, to support multiple players over local networks. So I think the idea was that it was going to be the same game. We'll never know because they never developed it. But I think the idea was it was going to be just Outbreak on PSP. Like it was supposed to be the same maps, the same. But again, we'll never know. Obviously, the decision was made the right way around to do Monster Hunter. We never got Outbreak or anything else. Looking back, I know there was obviously that 2009 announcement that never went anywhere, but it does it does astound me to this day that we never got a dedicated PSP title. Yeah, or Vita or anything else, yeah. Development of that PSP title never went anywhere either, as far as I'm aware. So they announced it and didn't get much past the development, early development stages. I think I think Alex talks about this even in his book as well, saying it didn't get very far. I don't remember reading anything else or hearing anything else. So, yeah, it's a bit of a shame in that regard. 
and then obviously there was nothing really for Vita other than the but the release of the Revelations too. Yeah. Thank you, Ronnie, for that calling. That was really insightful. And that does finish our discussion on The Hive and Below Freezing Point. We hope everyone has enjoyed it. But we now turn our attention to this podcast edition of Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. Do you know your G-Virus from your C-Virus? And your Jabberwock from your Bandersnatch? Or perhaps the number of bombs that appear on the Made in Heaven vest. Jesus what? Christ! What <laughs> question is this? I'm getting a big fat zero this week. Yeah, I'm not going to get any of these. We've talked about the games straying too far from the origins, this Resident Evil quiz. We're now getting Spice Girls as the correct answer, and it's time to quit. This is Neptune's Biohazard Quiz! Welcome one and all. Five questions. Clear your desktops. Here we go. I hope everyone's feeling confident. We'll see how we get on. I'm feeling confident. That's the most important thing. Um, <laughs> should you be? Is there going to be blowback on any of these questions? I don't know. I did change one question mid-podcast discussion. Cause... Have, you ch- have you checked the answers? Well, I had a question and I thought, I think we've had this one before, so I changed it mid. So well, anyway, we'll see how we get on. Question number one. A couple of outbreak questions. So. How many researchers are estimated to have been killed by the hunters? So in below freezing point. How many researchers are estimated to have been killed by the hunters? Question number two. We talked about this. Which two characters can pick up the submachine gun from the dying cop on the rooftop of the hospital? I think you should all get one. But there are two characters that can pick it up. Question three, what do you find in the earthenware vase? So that's code runner. So what do you find in the earthenware vase? Question four, what brand of battery is used in Remake 2 to make the detonator? So what brand of battery? And then question number five, who writes this diary? And I'm just going to read a little, not an extract, but some clues. So on the 1st of February, sacrifice two goats. 3rd of February, offered wool to Mother Miranda. So who wrote that diary? They're the five questions. Join us after this, we'll run through those answers. Now I wonder if the normal world ever even existed. Things are that strange. If I keep walking, can I awake from this dream? Welcome back. Question number one. Let's see how well everyone has done. So, how many researchers are estimated to have been killed by the hunters? We'll start with Batman on this one. I think it's two. Two. 
Okay, starts Tarrant. I had no idea. I was going to say like 21. 21. Rombi? Five. Five. Ten was the answer. No one was really that close. No, no point. Question number two is which two characters can pick up the submachine gun from the dying cop on the top of the hospital on the rooftop? Stars Tyrant. No, she didn't know this. I only thought it was Kevin. So I'm going to guess Kevin and George. Kevin and George. Okay. Batman. I'm going to say Kevin and Mark. Kevin and Mark. Rombie. Yeah, I don't know who else it's going to be. So I've got Kevin. I know that, but no idea for who the other one is. Not Yoko. <laughs> <laughs> you have a guess? Uh, no, no. Um, Was they one in six? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to force you for a guess. Um, yeah, I'm going. Um, no, Mark. Mark makes sense. Mark makes sense. It does make sense. It's not the right answer. It's Kevin and Cindy can pick it up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's sympathetic towards Cindy, isn't he? Yeah, of course he is. I've remembered that now. Bastard. Half points to everyone. So we're all off the board. Very good. Question number three. What do you find in the earthenware vase? Star Stone, you're a Code Veronica fan. The red ant. The red ant. Okay. Rombie? Uh, the queen ant. Uh, are we... <laughs> I'm gonna give up. <laughs> what? I'm saying, <laughs> Batman. Oh, uh, the Red Queen Ant. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's. A, I didn't know. I just had Red Jewel. You had Red Jewel. He was he was taking a other fed like he said Red, I said Queen, and I was. <laughs> yeah, I know. I got that. Yeah, Queen Ant object. I'm gonna give points to Stars and Rombie there. Very good. Sorry, Red Jewel is not correct. It's called Veronica, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Question four was particularly ruthless. What was the brand of battery used in Remake 2? You'd have to have examined this to have seen it. Rob, did you know this one? Oh, no. No clue. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't know that. Probably something dumb. Batman, did you know? Oh, Duracell. I don't know. Duracell. I was toying with an answer like that. So, don't. Energizer. No, it's it's... It's not Duracell. It's based on a Duracell battery, the colour scheme. But I'm not. That's not worthy of a point. Um, it's it, Ropeway is the answer. In, indeed, Nick. Yeah. It, of course, of course, of course. But then Ropeway is a term that's used in RE far too much for a tram. <laughs> I know. Well, there we go. So no, Ropeway was the answer we were looking for. And then finally, question number five: Who writes the diary on the first of February? Sacrificed two goats, and on February the third, offered wool to Mother Miranda. That's only part of the diary, but let's see who wrote that. Romby, I think it's Eugene or Eugene or whatever his name was. The, the house you have to break into. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Stars Tarrant. I did not know. Did not know. Batman. Yeah, it's Eugene, the house with the red chimney. It's correct. Points to Rombie and Batman. It is huge and very good. And I just want to say before you reveal the scores that in an effort to try and cheat for this week's podcast, when I was playing Below Freezing Point, I wrote down the name of authors of two of the files I have written on a post-it notepad stuck to my monitor, Martin Walcott and Walter Ryan, and you didn't ask questions about either, so what a waste of time. Thank you very much. <laughs> Can I let you in a little secret? Yeah, go on. The Walcott one... I have saved for a stupid football-related question at some point. <laughs> oh, for you? Yeah. 
Yeah, bonus point, please. That's not happening now. It's like that time I'd written down NTC 0394 for literally years, memorised in my head, waiting for that opportunity. It came up with a question. <laughs> it never did. I miss the days where I used to get four out of five on these quizzes. Mm-hmm. Well, well, talking of which, let's have a look at the scores and this podcast winner it is Romby with two and a half points. Congratulations, sir. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> and in joint second with one and a half, it stars Tyrant and Batman. High five, John. High five, man. Hey, Sean, at least you got the point for the red ant. What is the actual answer, though? What What is it technically? The, qu- the uh, queen ant object. Queen ant object. But it's the red. It's the red. It's the red. You, you, you basically examine it to get the red jewel, so... Yes. Oh, is that a red jewel? Yeah. <laughs> is it a little... Come on, come on, then. It's the red ant. You put... Oh, no. Look, they're the final scores. Join us next time when we'll have some more questions. <laughs> There we go. So we are finishing now with our outbreak happy birthday celebration. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. I hope everyone has enjoyed it. It is goodbye from me, Neptune. Goodbye from me, Batman. Good night from me, Stars Tyrant. And that damn elevator, goodbye from me, Rombie. Next time. Too much growth weakens an organization. What should be important becomes overshadowed by greed. Mass production? Ridiculous! One masterpiece is enough. <laughs>